Superhero Stuff You Should Know is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ben from Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and I have an important announcement for you guys. At the end of every single episode of Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you might hear a shout-out to our fans, one of whom is Matt Herring, who was one of the original Superhouse fans. He's always given us his support, and now it's time that we support him. Uh, we've just recently found out that Matt has been diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And as a cancer survivor myself, I know personally that there's a lot of emotional and financial strain that comes into that. Uh, his wife, Kelly, has set up a GoFundMe account at GoFundMe.com slash F slash Matthew hyphen kicks hyphen cancer 039S hyphen butt. Uh, and hopefully you can help reduce the financial strain to that as well as some of the emotional strain that comes with that. Again, that's gofundme.com slash F slash Matthew dash kicks dash cancer 039S dash butt. Matt Herring was the first, I guess you could say, true Superhouse fan. We were Superhouse at that time. You know, the first fan of this podcast and what we do here and um, has always supported us, talked about us, and um, he's from a town close to where I'm from, and uh, so we share that as well, and just a huge superhero fan, and, you know, nerd like the rest of us, and now he's going through that, and uh, if you could donate just at least any amount of money to that link that Ben just said, that would be truly appreciated just hang in there matt you'll beat this thing soon all right man i'm here for the tryouts man i heard you were holding a henchman tryouts and i am here to do whatever you want what is it big man oh well this is going to be a lot of fun <sighs> well harley stepped out and larry moe and kerr are no longer around so I'm just going to do a few simple tests to see what you can do for me. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. Let's do it. I, I'm stretched, ready to go. All right. Now, we're going to pretend that old Pointy is and his uh, little boyfriend are going to come in and try to break up our fun. So what's the first thing you're going to do when you see him smash through the pink glass window in the ceiling? I'm going to throw this here fucking javelin right in the fucking chest. Oh, uh, Javelin, huh? Can you think of anything a little more, you know, clown-themed or joker-like? It's kind of my thing. I got it. Oh, yeah, all right. I got this poison fertilizer right here. I can put it in one of those flower things you got. Flowers also grow on the farm, so very easy to do. Put it right in my breast. <laughs> oh, well, um, uh, I guess I could go along with the idea of him being Guano Man, but... I'm just not sure that's quite what we're looking for. I got this. All right, what about this? I got a hoe that I use to plow the back 40, and uh, I could use that as a weapon of sorts. I heard they did that back in Okinawa Karate. This is really not going how I expected it to go. You know, I do have one thing you could do to be a tiny, insignificant part of my grand design. What do you say? Oh, man, whatever, dude. I'll put on the face paint, makeup, whatever you got, whatever the fuck it is, man, because oh, no, I'm no, no, no. ready to make that. This will be much simpler. You see that? Oh, you know I like simple. Oh, you poor, sweet, simple little fool. You see that big circle on the wall over there? 
Oh, uh, yes, I do. Yes, the one with the big X on it. Ooh. Do you think you could is that what that is? slide in front of that for me? Oh, let me just hop over and over there. Oh, aren't you a little Georgia peach? Now, could you go a little to the left? Oh, like over here? There you go. A little bit more uh-huh. to the right. Okay, yep. Perfect. Now, I know riddles are usually Eddie's thing, but I've got one for you. Let's give it a go. Oh, okay. I, I, I'm not so good at riddles, but all right, here we go. All right. What do you and a piece of Swiss cheese have in common? Uh, we both smell delicious. No. You're both full of holes. <laughs> Welcome to Superhero Stuff You Should Know, a Superhouse podcast. I am, once again, the man who knows too much about Batman in my Keaton shirt right now. Uh, and I am joined, once again, by my co-host. It is I, Andrew, here once again to regale you all. No, that's Ben's job. <laughs> He's to help me regale you. Help regale, regale helper. And uh, we are joined once again by our previous guest who joined us on Batman Legacy, and he is back uh, for today's story. And we have from Instagram, Zachary Jackson Brown Art. Hello, everybody. How's it going? (laughs) Now, for you guys who have been listening for a while, you might have heard some interesting character bumpers that have come up every now and then. Sometimes it's the Joker, sometimes it's Bane, sometimes even last time it was Norman Osborn. Uh, and uh, this is, I guess, the time to reveal that that's actually been Zach sending those in. So, not only is he a talented artist, but he's also a very talented uh, voice actor and impressionist, as you guys just heard in the Joker sketch in the beginning. So, thank you, yes, Zach. Yes, we got most of our bump. You have the, the record. You probably you beat Kooky Noms at this point. So, <laughs> Kooky, you got to get on it. She's like, challenge accepted. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, let's see. But he... Uh, Let's see, he is here to join us for today's story, which is the big one that I wanted to lead up to. We've talked about Contagion, we talked about Legacy, we talked about Cataclysm and Aftershock, that is all leading up to this big one, which is No Man's Land. And this is part one of No Man's Land because it was such a long story, I could not fit it all into one episode out of good conscience. It might even be three-parter because I still have like 50 issues more to review (laughs) by the time, but we'll see what happens uh, on that. But anyway... Uh, I wanted to first start off by asking uh, the familiarity that people might have in terms of No Man's Land. So we'll start with uh, Andrew. Absolutely none. Well, I mean, I've I've seen the cover in Barnes & Noble in 99, and that's it. Got it. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, man. I haven't... I haven't read this is perfect. that one too. <laughs> this is yeah. perfect. You'll have to give you us fresh the, reacts. The, the fresh reacts from yours truly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, in contrast to that, Zach, what is your familiarity with uh, No Man's Land? Oh, it's definitely one of my favorite Batman storylines. I don't know what it is about it. I think it's just the fact that you get to see how so many different characters deal with this uh, natural disaster situation. Mm-hmm. They're thrown into a totally different environment than we're used to seeing them so yeah i've been well aware of the story for a long time awesome you got it when it came out in like 98 when was it when it come out 97 98 uh, 99 99 hmm? you got yeah, it at that like, point 
Yeah, just like I was telling Ben earlier, I accidentally bought uh, volume four first. So I kind of jumped into the middle of the story and then oh, yeah. okay. realized that. And then I went back and got the other volumes so I could get uh, the story caught up in my head. But it's very, very into it. Yeah. Does it say part three of four anywhere or whatever on the book? Because yeah. I feel like that's a problem sometimes with, with comics. Yeah, it does. Oh, it I, does. I got my okay. volume one copy here, so it does oh, say Oh, yeah, it. there you go. Okay. But, you know, I was younger, so... I just wanted to see the pictures. I wasn't a good reader. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just picked it up mainly because the cover stood out to me and I was like, oh, I got to get that. So I had just started to get into comics at the time. I was more into the cartoon and the uh, the movies. And I remember getting like the Batman visual uh, dictionary and being oh, I had that too, so yeah. shocked. Or like, uh, I think that's when I first learned about the Joker being the Red Hood. I There was like the whole page about him. And I was like, who is this Red Hood guy? Because mm-hmm. my only experience was like, Jack Nicholson and Mark Hamill's Joker and that part was omitted from their origin so that's when I really started to get more into comics was after I got that visual dictionary and I wanted to find out more about those stories that the the elements of the dictionary had come from nice nice those are great those are fantastic uh I for me I'm similar to Zach in that I was at a young age when I was uh, also introduced to the storyline, I knew of it. Uh, and the first time that I was exposed to it was actually in uh, the kids novelization by Alan Grant, which I have here. Uh, and that was nice. my first exposure to it. And I read it and I was like, it's all right. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't love it in the beginning. I, I, oh, because I didn't. it wasn't the full thing. Well, all, it w- I mean, it was very a very truncated version of it, sanitized yeah. for kids. Uh, so that, that was part of it. But the other part of it was that I just, you know, as, as a kid, similar to Zach, like you, you're so used to the movies and the cartoons that you're just, you want to just see more of Batman kicking ass. Uh, does so, this book have a soundtrack? Yeah. <laughs> so then later on. I have on, a friend that told me he cannot even read comics really because he needs the full, he needs movement. He needs the music. Like he loves superhero movies, but mm-hmm. He, he needs the he needs it to be a movie or a show. He, he like he can't, <laughs> This is what's happening to people worldwide. Like people are losing their imaginations. I guess. Wow. wow. You know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that might be one upside to this whole uh, quarantine situation. People are kind of forced to uh, find entertainment elsewhere because yeah. eventually you run out of stuff to watch on on streaming. Uh, but yeah, I did ask for okay what other versions of the story are out there. And it turns out that that was not the only novelization. There was a Greg Rucka novelization. So I actually read that next before I read the original comic. Uh, and then it wasn't really until I found out that Gotham was adapting No Man's Land that I was like, all right, let me just buy the entire storyline from Cataclysm Aftershock through No Man's Land, which is like, it got reprinted into about, I want to say seven volumes total. We're looking about like 2,000 pages of comics here. Uh, yeah. I read through it all, and I was like, okay, there's no way Gotham's going to be able to, to adapt to all this, but my God. Uh, people keep citing when they ask you the, the common top Batman stories. People usually list, you know, Dark Knight Returns, Year One, The Long Halloween, Hush, all those, and those are the ones that are the popular choices, and I like those too, but to me my favorite and the most epic the most character driven that displays all of Gotham City not just Batman or Joker or any of those but to the one that displays the entire city as a character is No Man's Land and that is why I wanted to lead up to this one because I didn't appreciate it enough as a kid but now I see it as just it's a masterwork in 
comic book storytelling that I don't think is ever going to be matched uh, in Batman comics. Uh, so better uh, than fucking <laughs> Brightest Day by Jeff Johns, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even read that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if if I were to adapt this Batman story properly, because they tried to shoehorn this in into No Man's, I mean that's No Man's Land. <laughs> they tried to shoehorn this in into The Dark Knight Rises, and I was like, you can't do the story in a movie. Like, if they want to do this HBO Max show that's rumored with Ben Affleck, I'm like, do No Man's Land. Put him in there. Put J.K. Simmons cool. as Gordon in that. That would that's be so fantastic cool. there. Uh, so uh, let's jump right in into how did this come about? Uh, so we talked a little bit last time about Cataclysm. But uh, Zach, are you familiar? Real quick, who's who's yeah. the writer? Who's the writer again? Oh, there's this? a bunch of them. I'm gonna go oh, over okay. who they are. I got but, you. Okay. Uh, there's a bunch of them. Uh, but Zach, are you familiar a little bit with how No Man's Land came about as a storyline? No, not at all. Well, there we go. So we're gonna jump a little bit into it. So uh, No Man's Land was the brainchild of a DC editor named Jordan Garfinkel, uh, Gorfinkel, uh, who outlined the story as like a 10-page proposal sent it out as an email, then went on vacation, and when he came back from vacation, they told him, uh, your proposal? Yeah, that's going to be the whole next year of Batman stories. <laughs> <laughs> so it was considered to be the most ambitious crossover in Batman history because it wasn't just... They had done crossovers before with, like, Nightfall and the ones that we covered before with Contagion and Legacy, but this one covered Batman, Detective Comics, Shadow of the Bat, Legends of the Dark Knight, Robin... Nightwing, Catwoman, and Azrael, Agent of the Bat, not including uh, occasional tie-in comics with the Justice League and Young Justice. Did it say where he went on vacation? Uh, it did not. Oh. <laughs> but it was before oh, he man. went on vacation, not while he was at vacation, so it's not like that would be the inspiration to it. Uh, but uh, Denny O'Neill himself, the late Denny O'Neill, said that, quote-unquote, it is in a lot of ways the most ambitious thing we've ever undertaken, and it's a story we've never told before. It's an absolutely glorious opportunity for us to fall on our faces. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but it, and it for is... me to insert a lot of peace symbols and all kinds of hippie paraphernalia because I am Denny O'Neill. <laughs> We're about like 20 years after all that. so He, he, he hung on to it, though, man. Yeah. Look at his picture taken in like 2010 or some shit. He's wearing a hippie, <laughs> uh, what do you call it, the, the peace symbol thing. Yeah, yeah. All that shit. Uh, one of the big inspirations for this was the TV show Babylon 5. I don't know if you guys have seen oh, that. Oh, shit. I've heard it's really good. I've That's... I've heard it too. I haven't, I haven't, watched I haven't it. seen it. Uh, have, yeah. Zach, have you seen Babylon 5? I haven't seen it. I've just heard about it. Yeah. Uh, same here. But uh, basically, that was a show that uh, felt like, I guess it was like Star Trek, but where like more people died. Like this is like pre-Game of Thrones, pre-Walking Dead era, where just main characters dying or getting killed off a lot was just not a thing uh, at all. So uh, Gorfinkel said that he was captivated by the idea of adding more stakes to the story like what if we injected more where uh the heroes and the villains it's not just like oh rinse and repeat back to arkham for you type of thing like there were actual consequences that would last forever uh sort of thing so that was what and he video games is for. called permadeath yes uh so the there character, was a character stays <laughs> dead yeah uh according to uh our friend of the podcast andrew farrago who wrote the uh, batman the complete history hold on a second here it is uh, I'm it's showing compendium. it to the camera. Like big compendium He's holding here. up an actual humongous <laughs> tome of bat knowledge. 
Here we go. <laughs> For the uh, audio-only listeners. Uh, DC felt this story would resonate at the time because we're just about 1999, so we're one year away from hitting the year 2000, and that's when they had the Y2K bug paranoia, if you guys remember this. Uh, yes. So this whole idea of, like, no technology, everything's back to ground zero is was, like, they knew that would resonate with readers, plus they had already set that up with the whole Cataclysm and Aftershock type of story. Uh, so that was so cataclysm and aftershock are already a thing, and then he has no man's land idea, just kind of separate uh, yeah. from that. I think, yeah, I think it is. They had it going, and he had an idea of how just you, expanding. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Uh, I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I got at least you. that's that's the impression that I got from from my research. But he decided to put an all star lineup of writers, some who had previously written on Batman titles like Devin K. Grayson. And some who hadn't written uh, Batman comics before, or specifically Batman comics. So one of those was uh, Greg Rucka, before he wrote the the novelization. He got into this uh, through No Man's Land. Uh, another was uh, G.I. Joe and Wolverine writer Larry Hama. And, nice. uh, of course, Paul Dini, uh, who had only been writing for the animated series at this point. But this was his first time, his first foray writing into comics that weren't tied into the animated series or the animated continuity at all. Uh, but I think his biggest get, Gorfinkel's biggest get, get, and the man who starts the whole arc in writing it was he went to Hollywood and he got screenwriter Bob Gale, who's the co-creator and the writer of the Back to the Future trilogy. Oh, shit. And Bob Gale is the one who first wrote, I think, the first three or four issues of this whole storyline and brought it all okay. together. And totally, he's like, I'm, I'm a comic book guy myself again at the time like it's not like gail had a lot of opportunity to really write a lot of comic book movies because it was around you know the era of the 80s and 90s where there was like one comic book movie every three or four years there was a separation too entirely kevin smith talks about this on a lot of his podcasts where he says he was one of the kevin smith's one of the first like actual crossover comic book director types Mm -hmm. and he said that like Whenever he was giving a pass at a Superman script, Kevin Smith said to one of the producers, why don't you have one of these comic book writers write the actual movie script? And then the producer's like, ah, those comic book guys, I don't, I don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was just a different world. It was a different world at that time. But, yeah, so they did the reverse here, it sounds like, where they're just like, well, screenwriters know what they're doing, so let's bring them on to the comic books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And thankfully, Gale was not one of those just like, I don't write for comics, I write adult movies, like Back to the Future. No, he was like, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, no, for, for real, I love Batman. I make I'll real pictures. <laughs> so they actually brought the ball together to New York in what they called the Bat Summit. And they were like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this right and Bob Gale was the one who who said, "Hey, uh, as screenwriters, we like the problem with comics is that it never really ends. So you kind of already know that Joker's going to get out of Arkham later, or Two Face is going to get out of Arkham, or Ra's al Ghul is not really dead; he's going to get out of Lazarus Pit. Why don't we figure out what our ending is and what those consequences will be first, and how to lead up to that, and what our arcs are, and all those things?" So he proposed that, and they all sort of came together to figure out one master document, one master outline of what the entire storyline would be across all those titles before they wrote a single word of a script on this comic. So That's cool. Uh, that, so they had a third act in mind. Is yeah. this considered an Elseworlds story, or was this No, canon no, this is, main, 50- this is absolutely main canon, yeah. I gotcha, yeah. okay. 
Uh, so I'm going to now break down No Man's Land in a similar way that I've done with uh, Contagion, Legacy, and Cataclysm. However, since it's the most popular storyline, I realize that there's a lot of people who've already read this comic. You just haven't heard a recap like this one, because I'm not only recapping the comic, I'm also incorporating what was added in the novelization of the junior one and the adult one. So, ah, to get the full the knowledge. story, yes. So, uh, just a quick recap then of Cataclysm. If you guys haven't checked that out, please stop this episode and listen to the Cataclysm recap where we went over the entire storyline there. But it pretty much ended, uh, spoiler alert for storyline from 1998, uh, it pretty much ended where a 7.6 earthquake had leveled Gotham. Bruce Wayne had attempted to ask the government to intervene. They said no, partially thanks to the influence of the supervillain Nicholas Scratch, who wants Gotham to basically be... A dead, a, a no man's land, essentially. Uh, and after failing to do that, Bruce Wayne disappears, and Arkham Asylum escape. Arkham Asylum inmates end up uh, being released by Jeremiah Arkham to go back to Gotham and take it over. And that's how everything ended in Cataclysm. So we pick up in No Man's Land three months after that. So a lot of shits happen, and Bruce Wayne and Batman have still not been seen in Gotham during those three months. Uh, Bob Gale wrote uh, the first issue, as I, as he said. Uh, the first four issues story are called No Law and a New Order. And he said, quote, This was truly the dark night, the darkest night possible. We were starting off a major year-long Batman arc, and Batman isn't even in the first issue. Oh, uh, shit. Okay. Now, Zach, when you were reading this, did you notice sort of Batman's absence in the beginning? Well, I know you kind of read it out of order. But once you yeah. got like the full story, where you're just like, oh, that's kind of weird. Yeah, I definitely did. Back at the beginning of the quarantine, I went back and started to reread it from volume one. And it definitely was interesting. Um, but I, I kind of liked being able to see those different character moments with with those characters that don't always get a, a spotlight on them. So mm -hmm. I liked it. Yeah, oh, definitely. All right, so the first issue starts and we just see the state of affairs at Gotham. You've got the army guarding the area where the bridges have been blown up, where nobody gets in, nobody gets out, sort of, sort of thing. There's a minister who wants to come in with, like, food supplies. They don't even let him in. There's a guy who hires a helicopter. There's, like, $5 helicopter tours for Gotham. See the ruins. <clears throat> and this guy pays the $5, and he says, hey, I'll give you $200 if you let me drop off food. And you think, okay, cool, he's a humanitarian. He's like, no, I want the pictures of people killing themselves in order to get that food. So, <clears throat> yeah. So it's a very bleak outlook. Yeah. As I said, this is Gotham at its lowest point. The worst uh, that Cataclysm oh, brought he, this up. Gotham's already, like, pretty sh shitty to begin yeah. with, generally, huh? Yeah, so now it's even worse. Uh, yeah. People on the streets do take the food. They don't kill themselves over it, thankfully, but uh, one of them finds an apple, and we sort of follow the journey of this apple, and he goes to trade it in for stuff, and this is where we see the state of the world, where uh, he tries to offer it to the guy, and the guy offers back stuff to trade, and he's like, here's a cell phone. And he's like, well, who am I going to call? And he's like, all right, here's a Walkman. Remember, this is 1999. So this is a Walkman. <laughs> here's he's the like, height of technology. <laughs> he says, the guy's like, what am I going to listen to? And then he offers a, a, a watch, an expensive Rolex watch. And he's like, why do I care what time it is? And then he gives him a flashlight with batteries. And he's like, deal. So this is the survivalist tone of the story where things that used to be valuable aren't anymore. And all the things that are valuable are things that we all take for granted uh, on here. Uh, this is also a world where, and this helps with the crime stuff, but guns are dwindling. Well, guns aren't necessarily dwindling. People have them. 
they're just not able to necessarily use them because there's an ammo shortage. Because, uh, again, nothing comes in, nothing goes out. People are now using bows and arrows uh, instead or making them. Uh, people are burning books to keep warm. Uh, but God yeah, just, damn, just, man. Yeah. <laughs> you thought That's Gotham rough. was bad just on a regular comic. It's even worse in here. Uh, there's a great moment where one guy tries to mug another guy. And the other guy doesn't flinch. Uh, and he's like, you know, give me all your batteries. And the guy's like, if you had a bullet, it's worth a lot more than these batteries. So go ahead. You're not going to shoot me. You don't have anything. And he walks away. <laughs> so I'm like, that is that is so good, though. Uh, but this is Bob Gale, screenwriter extraordinaire, everybody, uh, bringing his flavor to Gotham uh, in a way that you wouldn't expect from the, the guy who wrote something like Back to the Future, which is a lot, lot more light. And, and Are there Back uh, to the Future Easter you know, eggs, like a DeLorean drawn in the background <clears throat> somewhere? No, Bob Gale went okay. full bleak survivalist Gotham. You, you okay. can't even. I didn't even realize it was him. Honestly, until uh, I was rereading, I was I was rereading the names. I was like, really? And then I realized it was the same guy. I thought maybe it was like someone else with a similar name. No, it's yeah. actually him. Um, so the apple finds its way to the iceberg lounge, where the penguin is auctioning it off to people, and he ends up auctioning it off for like a diamond. And people are just like, well, what do you want with a diamond in no man's land? But they say the penguin actually is the one who has the pipeline to the outside. He can get you stuff, um, and that's why everyone comes to him. And he's kind of the smuggler type and information broker with these connections. And Bob Gale thought it was important to establish Penguin as somebody who wasn't the Burgess Meredith like thief anymore. He said, quote, the Penguin uh, was a master of corruption, someone who had studied history and fallen empires and knew how to work all of this to his advantage. Uh, so he really made him a major player here. And before he gives it to the guy with the diamond, he takes a bite out of the apple saying the Penguin always gets his piece. And if that sounds familiar, uh, it's because Anne Hathaway did a similar thing as Catwoman, as Catwoman in The Dark Knight Rises when she saves that kid and takes a bite of the apple before giving it to him. Uh, so direct lift. Yeah, direct Pretty lift much. right there. But yeah. yeah, just give you a full serve area of Gotham. Uh, so Penguin has his area. Two-Face has taken down the downtown courthouse. Killer Croc is like a nomad just wandering around places. Black Mask and <laughs> I the... See, yeah. I still want Michael Rooker to be Cro Killer Croc so bad. I want Rooker Croc so bad, man, by the way. Total tangent there, but we've talked about this before, he's Ben and I. Matt, yeah. Yeah. He's, it's just like, imagine him in the makeup with that accent and... I don't I can see it. He's from yeah. South Gotham, man. <laughs> he's just got that kind of like... Uh, Something kind of brutal about about Rooker, you know? Yeah. It's some intense intensity, some primal intensity. Just put some makeup on his uh, Merle Dixon. Over. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you got you got an interesting Killer Croc. I I want like I want to see Killer Croc as more than just a monster, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like they didn't like I liked what he looked like in Suicide Squad, but I they didn't really yeah. do much with his character. He's a yeah, he's a cool villain for sure. In, uh, let's see, Black Mask and the False Face Society are in the Fashion District. Uh, this is also the time where Black Mask got the Skull Mask, because beforehand he didn't have that. But the famous ah. Skull Mask that he has, that comes from No Man's Land. Oh, uh, shit. Also Hugh important McGregor's to note... has got to thank yeah. his lucky stars. <laughs> Speaking of which, Birds of Prey was shot in downtown Los Angeles, close to the L.A. Fashion District. So it's kind of funny that Black Mask in the comics in 99, <laughs> you know, 10 years beforehand... Wait... 20 years beforehand. What am I talking 20, about? 20, Jesus. man, 20. <laughs> I'm old. I think the 2000s are the lost decade, bro. 2000, 2010. What happened during that time? I have no idea. Yeah. 
Yeah, we just grew up and <laughs> graduated. So I did. Zach, name a <laughs> Zach name a <laughs> name a name a good album from 2000 to 2010. Any genre. Oh, the Killers. Okay, well there Hands you go. Down. You got yeah. one. All right, <laughs> good one for you. It's it's the one. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Ventriloquist and Scarface have Newtown. Uh, Poison Ivy has taken over Robinson Park, which is basically the Gotham Central Park. Uh, makes sense because she wants to be around the vegetation. And Joker is known to be out there, but he hasn't been doing anything. Mysterious. Probably that would, because that would Batman, make me uneasy. Batman like, hasn't him been seen being in three around? months. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So that's why Mr. J has not been seen for a while. So <laughs> the whole reason why. So it's it's like uh, Gorfinkel said this was like a fiefdom. It was. This is basically like Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones, where yeah. there's each section of Gotham belongs to a certain supervillain. You're really selling this, man. I'm, I'm going to yeah. have to just do my homework this time <laughs> for the next episode. I'm going to come back with the knowledge on the next one. God damn it. That, now I have to do it now that I yeah. said it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Gorfingle says, quote, each story takes place in a different section of Gotham that's like a little fiefdom, and he was inspired by the game Risk uh, in order to do this, according to, uh, again, our friend Andrew Farrago uh, on there. But again, uh, Batman has been gone for three months, and the main defender of Gotham so far is Oracle, <clears throat> which is interesting because uh, this is a very low-tech world. She can't hack anything. So instead, she's trying to trade information old-school way. She's trading uh, for food supplies. She's getting homeless people to give her information. Um, and also, she pretends that, hey, like I have the antidote. The army put poison in the food supplies. I got the antidote. So come in. I'll give you the antidote, and you give me the information. Turns out what she's just giving them is MSG, and there is no actual poison, but it's just a tactic MSG? to get people to work for you. Yeah. So it's some, a different type of poison. It's a slower. A, cer- a certain percentage of people are getting dizzy then. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, hot. Oracle just... Hot flashes. That's the, that's the only line that Oracle will cross here. But yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, all right. But yeah, she's the main like vigilante type who, who's defending stuff, but the GCPD is still around. There's just maybe like 20 cops. Uh, right now they call themselves the blue boys because now there's different gangs and now they have to operate almost like a street gang in order to uphold order Uh, are they somewhat right wing uh you're about to find out uh there's a a white ring group called the the what do they call the patriot 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 boys or something like that the proud boys proud boys that's it yes the proud boys yeah uh, I can see the connections there, but you'll, you'll see. Uh, but they don't have any jails to put anybody into. So at one point, like Bullock helps stop this crime, and he tells the criminals, uh, take off all your clothes and give them to the people who you try to, to strike. That's their punishment for that. They have to run around naked now in no man's land and give the clothes to the people that they just victimized. So I thought that was a very clever idea on Gail's That's part cool. uh, as well. But yeah, it's barely holding together. Harvey Bullock is around, and he's lost a ton of weight, so he's not fat any, that fat anymore because there's not a lot of food. <laughs> They're, like, uh, eating out of cans. At one point, he gets, like, shot, but, like, it doesn't even pass through him because his coat is so big. It just passes through the coat. So oh, wow. uh, that's a really that was a really nice detail. <clears throat> but at that's one point, another, voice, another voice that I – when I read it, I, it's the it's the B-Taz voice. Robert Costanzo, yes. yeah. It's just so iconic to me. It's uh, – I'm – I was amazed that they brought him back for Arkham Origins for just that little bit. Oh, he's, dude, own the role, dude. So yeah, good. There's nobody much. else until he dies. <laughs> pretty much. Sorry. <laughs> so, 
there's a there's a part where this cop uh he finds and kind of makes this makeshift bat signal he's like look i can i can shine it and everything and gordon goes up to it and he immediately destroys it it's kind of like at the okay. end of dark knight and he says we okay. don't need this because he's not coming gordon, so gordon just gives up Gordon well, it's three months though, yeah. So. Gordon hates Batman because Batman has abandoned Gotham in his mind. So this is the first real major change. Outside of just survivalist shit and all the supervillains have taken over, Gordon hates Batman now. It's taken three months for me to create anti earthquake boots in the Batcave. It's a little it's a little late, Master Bruce. I believe never the earthquake again. was many months ago. It's uh, never gonna happen again. Uh, so Gordon tells, uh, it's, it's basically down to him, his wife, Sarah Essen, for those who remember year one, he had an affair with a cop named Sarah Essen there. Uh, he ended up marrying her many years later and she's helping him run the, the blue boys, uh, right now, along with Harvey Bullock, Renee Montoya, and a bunch of other characters I'll talk about later. Uh, but uh, he tells her, quote, he always took the easy way out. Being a vigilante was always easier than being a cop. So he has a lot of uh. resentment towards Batman. Uh, in this, but <clears throat> because of the fact that they are in this lawless world, they realize they have to play things by the street gang rules. So they know that there's this territory that's owned that's owned by two rival gangs, and they decide to start tagging the walls uh, on the alternate territories so that they can start going after each other uh, on that. And uh, one of the characters who's a big supporter of this is a SWAT team leader named Pettit, uh, who almost wants Gordon to be even more ruthless. There's like a dynamic that sort of foreshadows the whole, uh, if you guys remember the early days of The Walking Dead where it was Rick and Shane and stuff. So Gordon is kind oh, of Rick yeah. where he's like, I want to stand by my moral values. And uh, Pettit is more like Shane in terms of just like, it's a different world, man. We got to survive. We got to kill to survive type of thing. So uh, Pettit ends up adding a little bit more by killing one, uh, a whole bunch of the gang members in order to save Gordon so that uh, he starts a gang war, so they start killing each other. And uh, Gordon is kind of wondering if he's doing the right thing. And he tells Sarah that uh, he's sort of become... He, he says, quote, I wonder how he became that way in terms of Batman. It's like maybe he had everything taken away from him too. Maybe he had to become who he became. So in a way, he hates Batman, but he's sort of understanding Batman at the same time. Again, Batman has still not shown up in the story yet. He's only mentioned by name uh, on these things, but it's we already see the fleshed-out versions of the characters. Uh, in the meantime, Penguin is throwing people into the river, throwing people off the broken bridges into the river because he wants to test if there's landmines in the uh, in the river because the government put them in there to prevent people from trying to swim in. Uh, so they grab this bearded homeless man to throw in there, but that homeless man starts fighting back, naturally. And as they grab him, they pull his beard off. And it turns out to be fake. And it's Alfred. And they realize they're in trouble when a shadow of a bat starts coming after them. And Batman returns. And he fights off the gang and takes them out. By the way, uh, no real explanation in how he comes back to Gotham. Just saying. Just just putting that out there. Oh, really? <laughs> So no one. What about the three month break then? Like what? There's no explanation. For there that? is there is explanation. I'll, I'll go into that, but there's no actual okay. explanation of how he got into Gotham. So uh, funny enough, I know we he talked a lot about that. He definitely wasn't in Gotham before. He, he wasn't, wasn't in Gotham. Before. He wasn't already in there, oh, and he okay. wasn't in some prison across from the world either, thanks to Bane. So, but I'll, I'll go into it a little a little bit later. It's not revealed right now, but uh, he goes in and he takes. So off, the problem the that Dark Knight Rises has. <laughs> It's actually a comic book accurate problem. 
Uh, yes, but I'll get into. I'll go into a little still later. a problem, <laughs> but comic book accurate. <laughs> Zach is shaking his head, dude. <laughs> he doesn't. Have... I mean, it's so much Zach, easier I... to accept than a comic book. You yeah. know, in a movie, it's like glaring <laughs> it in your face. In a comic, it's like, eh, I guess he got there. I, <laughs> I, I, I get it. I, I just find it pretty funny. At least there's precedent, okay? Yes. There's precedent. Uh, there is, however, that doesn't mean that there's no explanation for other characters who get into no man's land in that story. So, uh, I'll get into it later when we get there, but uh, it is, Batman comes in, he takes them out, and what's interesting is that in the comic, and I don't know if this is because Gale, Gale has, he a big um, comic book fan, so I would think he would know this, uh, at one point, one of the Penguin's guys goes off the bridge and sets off one of the mines, and it explodes, which implies that Batman just killed this dude. But it's never really addressed ever again. Okay. I was like, wait a minute. Uh, and funny enough, I think that when they wrote the novelizations, they wrote ways around it. So in the kids' novelization, a piece of debris from the bridge falls and causes the mine to explode down below. But all the thugs are still up at the bridge and still alive. Uh, and then okay. the Greg Rucka so novelization. Yeah, like the Greg Rucka novelization doesn't even feature the mine going off at all, which is kind of a Chekhov's gun situation. Like, if you're going to say there's a mine, you might as well have an explosion later on. But mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever the case is... Right. Uh, exactly. It's interesting that there's three different takes in terms of what happens there. I personally prefer the kids' novelization version on that, partially out of affection, because that's how I first learned it, learned the story, uh, but also because that's the, that's the one that I think makes the most sense in here. Uh, but Alfred has been on the streets of Gotham the entire time since uh, Black Monday, which is the day where everybody had to get off, get out of the city, or else there was uh, there was going to be uh, they were going to blow up the bridges. And he's been scouting out Gotham uh, on the streets for Bruce this, this entire time, using his medic training to help people along the way. So this is like guerrilla warfare, Alfred sort of thing. It's really cool. It's, it's detailed a lot in Legends of the Dark Knight number 118. It's always like, is it MI6 Alfred or is it not MI6? It like, is, yeah. It's always he's, the question. He's occasionally fighting criminals there too. Like, remember in Cataclysm, there was that issue where they tried to storm Wayne Manor and oh, he yeah, ended up taking right, them yeah. all out uh, without Batman even knowing that it happened. So, okay, uh, yeah, that's right. It's that's great. Right. But uh, Batman is hard on himself because he realized when he swooped in that the thugs aren't scared of him anymore. And the novelization has Alfred point out that there are things now that scare them more than Batman. Because look at the state of Gotham. I think the the, the, the B-Taz, the Batman animated series, had something a little before this. This is probably something that's in Bat mythos throughout the years, but mm-hmm. there was an episode where he doesn't wear the suit anymore, or the bat suit, and he goes out just wearing like a black... Ma- regular phantasm is that mask of the phantasm yeah he's like yeah they're not they're not afraid of me or something yeah, yeah, yeah well yeah, yeah, yeah but that's yeah. that's that's because he hasn't come up with being batman yet in the movie oh okay yeah i'm getting this all confused in my memory <laughs> for some reason but this is where he okay. actually already is batman has been batman for a good 10 years or so and now the entire city's changed so like the the way people react to him is completely different but Gotham it's just always interesting for whenever he loses his fear element. Yeah, the, yeah. The the that that so that that helps him in a fight, generally mm-hmm. speaking, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, so especially with henchmen, I I'm assuming the way they write it. So right. to, whenever he loses that element in a story, I always find that interesting. He loses his, an edge a little bit. Yeah, and so a lot of this is how he's going to get that edge back, not just yeah. mentally, but also in the eyes of the criminals of Gotham. Um, right. Batman, in terms of where he was at. 
issue number zero actually explains that Bruce was sort of demoralized by the failure to convince Ga- Congress and rebuild Gotham. So it was kind of a Dark Knight Rises-esque issue where he actually is at his lowest point and he almost doesn't want to go back to Gotham in a bit because he feels like he failed. Like, keep in mind, like, he had gone through the Contagion story, the Legacy story, Bane was threatening to blow people up with a nuke in that other story, then the earthquake hit, and now he's failed to, you know, have the U.S. government help out his city. Um, So, for a while, he's trying to party with these rich influencers to try to get the U.S. government to help Gotham again, but none of them really want to help out. And at one point, he walks around and gets his ass beaten by muggers. Batman does? Yes, and this is explained when he crawls back to his hotel room and finds that, of all people, Talia al Ghul is waiting for him. Uh, Because she tracked him down there because she, I guess, wanted to check in on him because she just heard about Gotham. She's not trying to bang or what? No, she's not. Uh, She... (laughs) (laughs) This is not the Marion Cotillard version. She's waiting (laughs) for him at a hotel room. It's just, you you know, sets itself up... A certain way. <laughs> this is pre-Damien. Well, technically post-Damien because it was after the the uh, you know some of the demon story. You got to anyway. get Damien somehow. <clears throat> that was done in the eighties. It was done beforehand. <laughs> but anyway, like um, she uh, realizes that he deliberately got himself hurt. He wanted to feel pain. He wanted to quote unquote feel punished for failing Gotham. So that's why he didn't fight back with oh, the muggers because em- he, he emo bat move. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's in Robert Pattinson. Full emo Mario Pattinson with black uh, eyeshadow. I like that though. I don't like. That <laughs> I do. Just no, like, I like. Yeah. I do like that though. Too. I, I, I'm not dissing again. I'm just saying that's the that's the mood. In uh, Batman Returns, there's one shot where Keaton is, has has it under his cowl. You can totally mm-hmm. see it. Cut to Pfeiffer, then cut back to him. <laughs> He's it's not on his face <laughs> under the cowl, so he can rip it off, right? Yes. That's yes. that's like yeah. That's oh my god. Did dude. you notice that too as a kid, Zach? Yeah, I definitely did. I I don't know. I, I guess I just accepted it as it was. I'm yeah. sure that it's only a matter of time before they, whatever comes after Blu-ray, like Crystal 4-ray, and they'll probably go in and digitally add in eye makeup. Yeah. Like just before he rips it off and then it'll be normal. I want them to do that as well as digitally remove the purple splotch that's on Mudge. Nicholson's neck <laughs> when he says yeah. I'm Joker. Historical. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. Shoe polish. That. Yeah, yeah. That was, um, yeah, that was shoe polish. That was on there. Uh, oh, I forgot shit. how that came about. But um, uh, I've watched that special feature like a million times, and the makeup artist said that they had already done a take, and some of the white makeup from his neck had got onto his purple jacket, but instead of taking alcohol and cleaning cleaning off, they did like a <laughs> purple boot polish on his jacket, but then whenever he had it against his neck and he turned it left that mark on his neck oh. and I was like, why would you do that <laughs> they shouldn't have done that <laughs> they were probably like no one's ever going to notice this yeah surprise surprise um, so Talia slaps Bruce to basically get back into action and tells him that you're a disgrace and you dishonor yourself and your cause and you and your city for not doing anything sort of thing so weirdly enough Talia Ghoul literally slaps Bruce Wayne into action here um, and wow. she offers as an alternative to take him away uh, but Bruce brings up that uh, there's someone else and she or someplace else and she needs him more and of course that's Gotham and so Talia says okay she understands but don't expect her to wait around for him 
Because obviously she won't, and then she'll be back and be crazy with Damien in the Batman and Son storyline with Grant Morrison <laughs> many years later. Uh, but yeah, that's how Bruce gets motivated. And so, as I said, there's not actually an explanation of how he shows up in No Man's Land, because the next time we see him in issue zero, uh, he's in the... Um, He's in the beanie and the green jacket from year one, the outfit that he wore when he was on the streets and he met Selena Kyle. He's in that already, and he's already in Gotham. However, I will say that unlike Bane, there is nobody actively threatening people trying to get inside. There's just a border of the U.S. Army who's just there to make sure nobody gets in or out. But if you can go around them, they're not really going to do anything. <laughs> so uh, that is my argument in terms of like, yeah, technically... It's the same thing as The Dark Knight Rises, but it's, it's a little less, like, stake-heavy in terms of, like, make sure nobody gets in and things like that. They, they have other explanations in terms of how people get in or sneak into Gotham uh, in the storyline. Uh, but I just want to point out there, do you agree or disagree about this choice to have Bruce kind of almost lose hope uh, during this time post-Contagion, uh, I mean, uh, well, post-Contagion, Legacy, Cataclysm, and Aftershock? So what do you think, Andrew? Oh, uh, have Batman lose hope. Uh, like, does it make sense to you, or do you feel like, eh, he would push through that shit? That's a good question. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want to happen in every single Batman story, obviously. <laughs> yeah. It is annoying in Dark Knight Rises mm-hmm. for some reason that he's got given up for, what, how, how many, five years or something? Eight years. Eight years. It's ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, it's a little too much, I guess. But for three months, maybe... It doesn't... I don't hate it yet, I guess. I mm-hmm. kind of... I just want to learn more. I need to learn more first, I guess, to see where this is going. That's all but. that's explored. <laughs> that's all that's explored of that three-month period, though. So... Oh, uh, I, yeah, I don't have any knee-jerk reaction against it right now, I guess. Mm-hmm. Got you it. Know. So. Uh, how about you, Zach? I like it. It makes him seem more human, and it kind of sets the stakes for this particular storyline, making it seem like this is a really, really, really big deal, you know, mm-hmm. compared to Contagion and stuff where, you know, something equally bad did happen, but he was kind of just like Batman and yes. pushed through it and everything. So mm-hmm. it does make this particular situation seem a little bit more special. I Absolutely. don't like how he's like, I I wanted to feel pain. Like, I don't... <laughs> I don't like that. I, I do have a knee-jerk reaction against that. Today. But but other than that, I don't mind Yeah, him being human and sort mm-hmm. of losing hope every now and again because to the reader, somebody that's trying to be inspired by comics, I guess, and, and storytelling in general is somebody that overcomes despair, I guess, yes. is, a, is a good storyline. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, exactly. yeah, that's what I uh, think. T- to me, I... Um I find it a lot more palatable than The Dark Knight Rises because Dark Knight Rises is eight years and this is like just three months and also a period of time where it's just like one thing after another after another after another uh, especially with just how harrowing Cataclysm and Aftershock were in terms of just hammering yeah. at Bruce's soul that it's just like I agree with Zach like it's realistic that he's going to have a loss of faith um, it's interesting that they chose Talia to be the one to uh, sort of get him out of that, but it is uh, as as I said, like it is more realistic and makes him more human in a way for him to realize, hey, like this could be it. This could be I. I could just be a failure through all this. I think we all go through some form of that, even as somebody as strong as Bruce Wayne. 
Um, so when he goes back into the city, it looks like he's establishes he's established a whole bunch of mini bat caves throughout the city. <laughs> uh, and the reason why is that he actually established these back when Dick Grayson was Batman during the Prodigal storyline. Uh, that's after Nightfall and everything. And so during the time that he needed Dick Grayson to take over, he came up with this idea of putting Batcaves throughout the city, which kind of gets carried over because, as you saw in the Arkham Asylum video game, he's got a Batcave on, on that island. So it's, uh, it's kind of carried over into stuff today. So Batman has returned in this case. So uh, to represent Batman, I've got my post-apocalyptic nightmare Affleck <laughs> Batman. Uh, to join us here for his scenes but anyway i've been staring at that little killian murphy scarecrow you've got on the table behind you too this whole time <laughs> oh yeah yes did, did nightmare batman batfleck does he have he does have the cape under the trench coat right um in the movie so it's not on the toy though Okay. All right. I just so always thought sure. it was just like that's just like it's a trench coat instead of the cape. I think too too much Snyder. Too much too much for that Snyder. Too much. I'm not sure if I agree with that artistic choice. It's really hot in here. <laughs> I'm sweating. I'm undercover. See. It's I don't know coat. how the black eye makeup isn't running down my face. Uh, it's hot as hell fighting these fucking parademons. <laughs> Uh, And then the first, what's interesting is the first issue of the story, just to go back a little bit, reveals somebody takes some spray paint and paints a bat insignia on the wall. A gloved hand starts tagging the bat symbol on everything. And later on in another issue, uh, a group of kids are being menaced by a gang only for a bat-like figure to swoop down, revealing a Batgirl. Not the original Batgirl, obviously, because Oracle is in a wheelchair, but a Batgirl with... uh, a mask that completely covers her face with a mouth sewn over. Is this the, the kids, is this the uh, the debut of that one? This is a debut of a. I guess what was her name the first again? Batgirl post. Well, they leave it a mystery. So okay. I will I will let you I will guide you towards the answer to that. But uh, she talks to the kids and she claims that she is Batman and they're like, well, you're a, you're a woman, no offense. And she's like, if you were a big tough guy and you got beat up by a girl, would you admit it? Or would you say it was a huge giant seven foot tall guy with fangs and claws? And they're like, good point. So this new Batgirl is the one who's been tagging the walls and Batman confronts her. And she's basically like, look, Gotham needed a bat, you weren't around. So I'm going to do this whether you like it or not. Batman realizes he's probably going to have to find some way to work with this person. So he's like, don't disgrace the symbol, and then he leaves. But he sort of has this <laughs> this tenuous partnership with this new Batgirl uh, who's been going around town. Uh, but the first person he goes up against is Scarface, actually, is the ventriloquist. Uh, and the ventriloquist has taken over this one area where people kind of have the Stockholm Syndrome. They all kind of worship him because he, he looks out for them. He protects them. He provides them food and everything. Uh, his main rule is that nobody says the B word, which is Batman. Because if you say Batman, that means he's real. So he almost doesn't want anybody to say it because that means that Batman will come back. So that's the main banning, uh, man, main thing that he's banned on there. Uh, he can't, uh, Batman can't really get much information from Oracle on the ventriloquist here because it's a low-tech world. So Scarface doesn't have any computers to hack. So that, I thought that was a cool thing. Uh, but the ventriloquist's main role in the city is he controls the ammo. He controls all the bullets. Even his men only get one bullet each so that uh, they don't use them against him, of course. 
So again, more of that survivalist flavor that I love to the story. Uh, and then when Batman first investigates, he gets caught and shot at. Um, and uh, even the innocents he's trying to protect are afraid of him. So he realizes this bat suit that he's wearing is probably not going to cut it in terms of trying to infiltrate Ventriloquist's uh, gang. So he goes undercover. Not quite as matches Malone. He's got the whole. He's got the similar look as like the Year One esque uh, disguise that he had. Uh, but he goes in because he sees the Batman costume as a liability and sort of infiltrates Scarface's gang. Now this is interesting because this was actually supposed to happen in the final season of Gotham. I don't know if uh, you guys had heard about this, but uh, season five of Gotham, the final season, was supposed to be a full out season until they got only a ten episode order. They then got extended to 12, but they had to shortchange a lot of their original ideas. Uh, one of them was that uh, John Stevens says, quote, as he infiltrates one villain sector after another, it's, he says that Bruce, uh, young Bruce, the David Mazus, uh, Bruce Wayne would adopt different identities at one point, even take over leadership of a gang, almost like the way Batman did with the Sons of Batman in The Dark Knight Returns. And he would be doing that during season five, which is their adaptation of No Man's Land, of the story. So it's interesting that they uh, they had this in mind and it was likely from this issue because they also had again another friend of the podcast andrew sellen end up becoming the ventriloquist on that show uh but the disguise bruce claims the scar super house podcast <laughs> i love how he said you know what's good for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah did you watch uh i forgot did you watch gotham zach because i know you've you've done the jeremiah valeska yeah joker i think i only made it like midway through season four Mm-hmm. It is kind of, I mean, it was already like jumping the shark from, <laughs> but it, I remember being super into it and into like this kind of idea that it was going to be Gotham Central or I like seeing these characters before they were the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of lost interest whenever people were becoming fully fledged villains. Like the Mr. Freeze one was in like one or two episodes and I was like, well, it would be kind of cool to see like. Victor Freeze is a character for a longer period of time. Yeah, so. and his love story with Nora and them yes. develop that. Instead, he's just like, all right, it's Heart of Ice. Boom, the end. Yeah, I like oh the overall God. arcing stuff. It just, uh, <laughs> whenever they try to do what, I guess it would be like the Villain of the Week episodes, <laughs> that was kind of bizarre. I mean, I don't know. So I got through about season four where I was like really one, Like a one-shot episode? Like doesn't have to do anything to do with the rest of the season? Yeah, Anything? I think they were doing that just to be like, hey, remember it's a Batman show. Here's Batman villains. So just kind of strange. We're going off on that tangent right now, but <laughs> I watched like the first like four or five episodes back like when it came out and it mm-hmm. just felt like they didn't know what tone they wanted. Like it felt like, uh, what's the guy playing um, main guy again? Uh, Gordon. Fucking Gordon. Yeah. Ben McKenzie. Uh, yeah, that guy, McKenzie. He's like acting playing it straight like kind of dark he could damn damn near be in a fucking um nolan movie but then cut to uh jada pinkett smith right yeah she Mm -hmm. thinks she's in batman 66 and it's just like it's just (laughs) yeah just it was just like driving me crazy like the villains are in another show and Mm -hmm. the heroes are in a different show that's what it felt like to me it was just it was driving me nuts it was very much Tone, the Batman Forever esque uh, <laughs> idea of just like let's keep all the serious stuff for the heroes and then yes. over the top stuff for the villains, which I guess still it just worked, still worked. You know, in Schumacher was better at it. Than, <laughs> I don't know that that show didn't work. I, you know, yeah. Kevin Smith also said like we have I have a podcast called Fat Man on Batman. It was mm-hmm. called that at that time, and he mm-hmm. was like, I I just he, he couldn't watch the show, man. They just could they couldn't do it. 
I didn't feel. I remember being. I remember being really into the penguin at the beginning. Yeah, and penguin was cool. Yeah, he was cool. That was my favorite part. His little arc, but mm-hmm. I don't know. The minute that they showed like Poison Ivy as a little girl, and but it was Ivy Pepper, and it was all this like weird stuff to change for no reason, and she's been recast just like three, actresses, three times. Yeah. <laughs> just, oh, I didn't know that. Stuff like was yeah. really strange. I I just wish I guess it had been a little bit more based in reality to begin with. Like it, it seemed like it was going to be so. Yeah, it was hit and miss. Well, we'll go over the their adaptation of the No Man's Land story, but back to this one. Bruce Wayne, while disguised, he claims to Scarface that he has a whole box of ammo that he's willing to trade in in order for t- protection. So obviously, that's a trap for him to lure Scarface in to become Batman. And when Alfred brings up, like, "Well, this is a this is a big endeavor, Master Bruce. Like, are you sure you don't want to call in Master Tim and Master Dick? Because so, Dick Grayson went back to Bloodhaven, and Batman ordered Tim Drake." to move out of the city with his dad and Batman says no because he feels like it's his duty to save the city it was his failure to uh, you know that no man's land happened in the first place so it's on him for this to happen which sets up this big arc for Bruce Wayne himself uh, throughout the story but he feels like he is the only one who can be trusted to bring Gotham back so he sets this trap for Ventriloquist Ventriloquist brings everybody over to it and the box of ammo actually has a magnesium flare in it so it blinds everybody, and Batman comes in, and he grabs the ventriloquist, and he's like, say my name. And Scarface says, Gatman. And Batman takes Scarface, and he shoves him away. And he says, and he grabs the ventriloquist, and then he's like, no, say it correctly. And Arnold screams Batman. And it's one of the greatest mm-hmm. moments in this, because of the fact that like he's, it's him taking back the city. It's him taking back his fear factor here. And then ah, he the reclaims next, it. Yes, because remember, Ventriloquist is like, don't say Batman, don't say Batman, and Batman's just forcing him to say his name. He's like, I'm back, and I'm real, and you're going down. So uh, the next panel should be very familiar to people who are on the internet with memes, but it's Batman in the middle of a, in a street with a bullhorn saying that Scarface is finished. Now, this became a meme because somebody changed the dialogue to say, has anyone seen the Joker? And put the caption, world's greatest detective on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make fun of the fact that Batman has a bullhorn. But in the actual context of the story, he's telling everybody in the city, like, you're free now. Scarface is finished. You guys are, everybody's, you know, this is now my territory and everything. And Ventriloquist Ben aren't having it. And so they all try to take shots at Batman. And this is broad daylight. Batman's just standing out in the street in broad daylight. And they shoot him. And he goes down. <laughs> and then he gets back up. And then they shoot him. And he goes down. And he basically pulls a Michael Keaton like several times. <laughs> because he knows that he's got the armor. And he needs people to see the the myth again. He needs people to see the legend once more. Uh, and he yeah. also bargained that Arnold Wesker didn't give people armor-piercing rounds. <laughs> so he's just like, it was kind of a gamble. But uh, it worked. So after he frees the people, I always miss my jaw as well, which is extremely <laughs> fortunate for me. After he frees them, he finds that uh, things aren't quite what they he thought they would be because he thought that they would be like, "Thank you, thank you," but instead they're just like, "All right, what do we need to give you? Like, what do we need to trade in for you to protect us?" Sort of thing. Like Ventriloquist wasn't oppressing us; he was our boss, and we need another boss. And Batman realizes that this is the desperate and the destitute, and they can't take care of themselves. So he goes back to Ventriloquist's men, and he's like, well, I'm not giving this back to Ventriloquist, but I want you guys to run everything exactly the way that we were before, but with no guns. And so he actually okay. gives back that territory to Ventriloquist's gang, but 
it's under his territory and he's basically like if you screw this up i'm coming back for all of you but he he kind of has to be forced to work with criminals here mm-hmm. in order for him to take back the city and that is his first step towards taking back gotham and i think it's time for a break so when we get back <laughs> from the break <laughs> ah good timing yes when we get back from the break uh, we will cover how successful or not so successful he will be in trying to reclaim everything else See you Sounds soon. great, Sonnet Boy. Robin, it appears that my parallel parking isn't quite up to snuff. Let me repark the car. Ah, who gives a fuck? I just want to get straight to busting some heads. I don't care about that whole steward of the law bullshit. Robin, those are two instances of profanity. Alfred told you to talk better than that. Ah, fuck shit, fuck shit. I don't give a damn. Let's get straight to killing. So that is about. Eight instances in the swear jar, young man. I'll just use some of the Wayne Foundation money. Come on, I can't wait. We gotta talk to that bastard at the top of the roof anyway before we get to the real good stuff. I think you've been listening to too much of that rock and roll lately, Robin. I just love the heck out of that death metal stuff. And mumble rap. Mumble rap? Oh, you don't know because you're on Facebook like an old man. But yeah, mumble rap's totally awesome. Come on, let's get this Gordon crap out of the way. Hold on, I'm almost done parking. Right <sighs> so boring. We're going to get spotted. It's important that we obey the parking signs. But we're the Batmobile, don't you get it? We can do what we want. We're above the law. We are stewards of the law, Robin. I thought you of all people would know we are here to set the example to the rest of Gotham. I just want to get on my bow staff and just straight up leg sweep. All those motherfuckers. Damien, if I hear more language out of you, you will be grounded. What? That's right. I'm being very serious. Hmm, he is serious. So, uh, finally you parked that thing right. Let's get up there. All right. All right, I'm gonna just go ahead of you, okay? I can't wait to get up there. <sighs> I should have used a condom with Talia. All right, everybody, if you like that little preview to the sketch right there, we have that plus news. Plus, we're bringing back some opinion pieces and uh, review-type stuff and all kinds of stuff in our $5 tier on Patreon. So just go to patreon.com slash superherostuffpod, and if you become part of the $5 tier, you can see these new bonus episodes. Basically, consider it Superhouse DLC. Oh! Ooh la la, vous écoutez des trucs des superheroes que vous devriez savoir. Oh man, I love that Clayface and Harley Quinn, dude. <laughs> I'm going to sing <laughs> a wedding. I am an actor. So, Mr. Timothy Button. Timothy Button. And welcome back. So, where we left off, Batman has taken back the territory from Ventriloquist, and he's got, you know, one down several dozen more to go for the rest of the city so it's you're catching the video while. by the way the reason yeah. we have such a sheen on our faces is because what is over a hundred in la right now and we uh, have to turn off the yeah, goddamn ac <laughs> we suffer uh, we suffer for our art everybody i just can't let that go unnoticed meanwhile zach's in his basement being like i'm good <laughs> is that North Carolina? Are you in like the nice mountainy area of North Carolina where it's not hot at all, really? No, it gets hot here. Uh, we're like closer to the South Carolina border. Okay. We're about like two hours away from Boone, so I'm very close to Charlotte. Okay. 
Got not it. Asheville, where those Asheville hippies are at? Three hours. Three hours? Okay. Yeah. Is it still it's Southern awesome. Hippie Town over there? Absolutely. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> Continue, Ben. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, let's see. I Ben's thought like, we... are you fucking serious right now? <laughs> <laughs> Talking about I'm sweating it over here. <laughs> like, <laughs> the quicker we wrap this up, I can I turn on talk the about AC. Asheville. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I thought we might as well uh, go into what's going on with the rest of Batman's allies during this time. Uh, As I said, Tim Drake has been asked to move out the city with his dad. And so Jack Drake takes his son over to Keystone City, uh, where it is the hometown of the Flash. Though not uh, the Grant Gustin, Barry Allen Flash, but of the Wally West Flash who had taken over at this point. Crisis on Infinite Earths had killed off that Barry Allen Flash at that time. And Wally West had fully taken over uh, in the suit. Uh, But anyway, he and Wally West end up teaming up against not only Captain Boomerang, but also uh, the Riddler. Captain Boomerang. The Riddler, as you guys might have remembered, when he got broken out of Arkham Asylum, he was the only one to decide not to go to Gotham. Because, as I suspected, uh, the No Man's Land riders did not want to deal with any riddles. So they're just like, just had him go to a different city. <laughs> ah, fuck <Instead>. that guy. <laughs> so the Riddler is, like, sending out, like, a lot of... He's not sending just one riddle. He's sending out multiple riddles because he's up against the Flash. So he knows that he has to send multiple in order to keep the guy preoccupied. If it's just one, the Flash can just solve it like that. But, of course, Wally is no Bruce Wayne or Tim Drake. So he needs Tim's help in order to do that. So that's a fun little tangent storyline there. And then uh, Tim, though, feels a little bummed out about the fact that he's been kicked out of Gotham by Batman. But Superboy, the Connor Kent Superboy, and the Bart Allen uh, speedster Impulse uh, decide that they're going to go in anyway uh, and piss off Batman <laughs> and end up fighting in Robinson Park. But uh, anyways, the the Young Justice comic has all these guys working with Lagoon Boy to stop the group Cobra from attacking the uh no Man's Land Gotham. So there's all these different I need you to explain lines. Lagoon Boy real quick to me. He's that... basically the creature of the Black Lagoon as a kid. Are you serious? I don't yes. know this guy. <laughs> okay. All he's, right. Uh, he's just swimming in Gotham, like the Gotham Bay and stuff, and uh, almost gets hit by the, the Cobra guys who are trying to use torpedoes to take out. They want to basically lay siege to Gotham because a lot of supervillains, a lot of Justice League and Teen Titan, Young Justice uh, supervillains see this as the opportunity for them to uh, lay, you know, take over Gotham. and the you Killer know, Croc Gotham, and Lagoon the world. go on adventures together? You know, that would have made more sense, uh, honestly. <laughs> Michael Rooker Killer Croc is like... <laughs> That's my boy. <laughs> <laughs> Lagoon boy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they all get warmed. They all get caught by Batman. Superboy, Impulse, Lagoon boy, and of course Robin get caught by Batman. And Batman's like, stay away. So uh, that's the end of that storyline. Um, Stephanie Brown, the spoiler, is not available because, and I didn't realize this during Cataclysm or Aftershock because this might have happened in between, but uh, Stephanie Brown is pregnant. And gives birth uh, during this time. So she's kind of out of commission and not available to help well, how, out. How'd she get pregnant with? Uh, her her pregnant? ex-boyfriend. Who's not like a superhero type? No, just a random ex-boyfriend character from before she met Tim Drake. So, oh, interesting. She okay. was a major player in the uh, Robin comics of the 90s uh, for Tim Drake before eventually she got spotlighted as her own as Batgirl uh, years later in the uh, more purple... Uh, well, this is not the proper costume, but the more of the purple 
esque uh, Batgirl suit that uh, Barbara would later later wear in the uh, New Fifty Two reboot over here. But oh yeah, uh, I like that suit. That spoilers, cool. yeah. Spoilers out of commission. Robin's been kicked out. Nick Nightwing is uh, back in Bloodhaven going up against, I believe, Blockbuster at the time. Uh, which brings us to uh, Azrael. If you guys remember, Azrael was going up against Nicholas Scratch and trying to figure out what was going on with that dude and what might be behind him. Uh, Nicholas Scratch had framed him for the death of a senator in uh, during the Cataclysm and Aftershock storyline. And because of that association with the old suit, Batman gave him a new one. Uh, for whatever reason, John Paul Valley still thought it was a good idea to uh, try to investigate things in his old suit and end up got and ended up getting caught. <laughs> and uh, in the ensuing fight, uh, there was a fire and he had to leave the old suit behind. So the old ass Azrael suit is now destroyed in the building and he has to switch suits to the one that Batman gave him so that he can track down Nicholas Scratch, who is going into Gotham. Uh, but when Scratch disappears, Batman decides to use Azrael to find somebody else and he assigns him after our good friend, Mr. J. So he asked him to go find the Joker for him. And uh, Batman if... assigns Asriel to go after the Joker. Yes, and there's a very specific reason behind this, which is very amusing okay. later on. But in the beginning of that story, we meet Joker for the first time in No Man's Land, and he has a little bit of a uh, monologue, we could say, of going into how he feels about the whole No Man's Land situation. Let's see... I can poison the water supply. The water supply is already putrid. I can very well foul up the air. The air is already soot soup. And I can terrorize Gotham citizens. The Yetzes are already scared out of their gourds. Oh, I'm plenty frustrated. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> Fiddlesticks! <laughs> <laughs> so, Joker's bored. Batman hasn't been seen in months. So, what he does around the city is he starts feeding jelly beans to Gothamites. Uh, and you think throughout the whole thing, oh shit, they're poisoned. Uh, turns out they're real. He's just giving them real jelly beans because he wants them. He wants it's the bribe. only way I can ensue chaos in the Gotham. <laughs> so, uh, so that they can tell Batman uh that where he is and that he's kidnapped a hostage so Azrael's going around and this one gothamite's like uh hey are you batman and Azrael's like well i was but uh anyway what's up and they tell him like hey this guy gave me jelly beans to tell you that uh he's got a hostage so Azrael shows up and joker is pissed and this is why batman sent Azrael in his stead uh joker only really wants to deal with batman so when Azrael shows up joker can't believe that Batman sent a second stringer, quote unquote. Oh yeah, to so fuck, with, fuck with his ego. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. I like that. I like that. So, Joker tries to kill him. Asriel escapes from the death trap, and Joker I just already ends up have enough hair products, John Paul Valley. <laughs> so, Joker flees, and John Paul decides instead of going after Joker to free the hostage, which is another good step for him character-wise because he did not choose to do stuff like that when he was the Asbat during the Nightfall uh, Night Quest storyline. So uh, that's good for him. But basically, he ends up meeting Oracle in person for the first time, and she encourages him to help out Leslie Tompkins in saving lives in the MASH sector because that's Leslie Tompkins stayed, stayed behind uh, during the entire Black Monday thing in order to help repair people. So Leslie Tompkins becomes the go-to doctor during this time. Uh, and we'll go back to her and Azriel when we get to part two 
of this, but that's kind of where we'll leave them off. Uh, and then lastly, we go into the final Gotham Guardian, who we haven't accounted for, outside of the ones I've mentioned, which is Andrew's favorite bird of prey, the Huntress. Oh, yeah. So where is Helena Bertinelli during all this? Uh, she is checking in on this church where a priest is housing uh, people, and Gordon is frustrated because the same priest apparently refuses to accept police protection. I need uh, a description. Uh, is it is a 90s <laughs> un-PC costume we're talking about here uh it's the regular huntress costume this is not the, like the bear midriff one that jim lee gave her during hush like that is <laughs> <laughs> that that's was the ridiculous. one i had in mind <laughs> that's no, all i'm gonna say about that, that. let's that move one. forward let's move uh, forward i'm yeah, sorry so there's this there's this priest character and gordon's frustrated with him because he refuses to accept police protection he doesn't uh you know he doesn't want to be controlled by the government or the police state uh, as well as the fact that uh, is he, he a proud boy? Uh, he well, the main thing is that he doesn't want to belong to a certain territory or a certain uh, gang uh, in Gotham. He just wants to help bring people in. And so when Huntress goes in to check on him, he finds out that he has laid shelter for everybody, everybody, including the Scarecrow. Uh, so yes. this goes into a very interesting Scarecrow storyline because this is the Scarecrow without his fear gas. And you see just how much chaos he can actually cause. Oh, without it, he can. Yeah, without it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Which is cool. I've actually, I've actually never seen that. He's exactly, always right? so dependent upon that there gas. Yes. So, Scarecrow here, uh, he is the master manipulator in this because he wants to do this whole experiment in terms of people's fear and what he what it can make people do. So, he actually starts playing everybody against each other. He destroys the food in the priest's church and then he manipulates the priest to be like oh that's a shame the rats all got to it of course he put the rats in there uh, it's a shame all the all the rats got into it uh but you know you need to find a way to protect your people right so uh maybe go to the one man who who can feed people which is the penguin and so the priest desperately asks the penguin for help and the penguin agrees on the condition that he house uh houses all the ammunition and arsenal in his church so the priest is gradually trying to make a lot of moral compromises in order for him to protect his people. Is Superman uh, in the church also having a moral quandary out of nowhere? Uh, Looking not into, yet. into a stained glass <laughs> thing out of just no reason at all? There's no alien invasion <laughs> happening for him to do such a thing. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe I should talk to some random priest in order to decide what to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, all right. Uh, Good to know. Yes, we still re we still support release the Snyder Cut. Anyway. Uh, I do, I do. <laughs> yes, yes I we do. still want to see it. Um, but anyways, Scarecrow plays everybody against each other, and it, it pretty much leads up to this large gang war where the police find out that there's ammunition in the church, so they go after it. Penguin uh finds out that they his arsenal might be in danger because the police are going after it along with black masks gang so his people go after it so you got two gangs the police and you know the church which is full of guns and scarecrow encouraging the churchgoers <laughs> hey get your guns <laughs> to defend yourself so a church full of guns that's yes. actually not too much change from how it is already <laughs> exactly <laughs> that part checks out entirely yes, exactly uh <laughs> Batman goes in to try to threaten Penguin, 
to figure out where did the guns all go and Penguin <laughs> refuses to tell him so Batman puts uh, he puts a device and saying like this is an EMP it'll destroy all your electricity unless you tell me where it is and so Penguin tells him what it is and Penguin goes I mean Batman goes off and Penguin freaks out because the EMP is about to go off and then the EMP goes off and he grabs it and he realizes it's a kitchen timer it's not a real EMP. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a great moment where Batman's just using anything that he's got in order to use intimidation tactics. Uh, but Batman ends up stopping this entire gang war thing over at the church, and Gordon shows up, and he sees Batman for the very first time. And he's like, stop right there! And then Batman, once again, they must have watched a lot of Michael Keaton, because <laughs> Batman's reaction to Gordon telling him to stop is once again to disappear. Uh, it's just like in Access Chemicals in the 89 movie. So, uh... He, they're not ready for a reconciliation just yet, and Batman, I guess, does not think that he needs to talk to Gordon in order to take back the city. Uh, so, during this time, after the conflict is over, Scarecrow tries to continue to make people uh, go up against him, and the churchgoers try to go violent and attack Scarecrow, but it's actually the Huntress, one of the most violent Gotham vigilantes, who decides to go against her usual nature and tell them, no, you're just going to give him what he wants. So she persuades for, the- Forgive my lack of knowledge, but I am learning with the audience, I feel like. Yes. Huntress is generally written as super violent, more violent than the others. Oh, yes. Yes, just like okay. in the Birds of Prey uh, movie. She's, uh, well, that's Batman's main problem with her, is that she is okay. willing to kill. That's why she carries around the crossbow, because she's not using that shit just to... You know, shoot you in the shoulder or anything. So, okay, yeah, I got you. Okay. Uh, she's usually the one who is willing to make those compromises, but here she decides that that's what's going to make Scarecrow win. So she tells them not to, and they all. So her start. her D and D chart is she's she's chaotic good maybe chaotic maybe. neutral. I guess so. I'm not that yeah. familiar with the D and D chart. Uh, outside of seeing the memes of it, but the actual definitions, I'm like, eh, I guess that makes sense. Like Joker's chaotic evil, evil. Right. Batman's lawful good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah, it's a whole like spectrum. It's you can put yeah. a lot of characters that weren't designed for D and D into that. Right. Yeah. Anyway, makes sense. Uh, yeah. But she persuades the churchgoers not to kill Scarecrow. Scarecrow wanted to be a martyr, and he gets frustrated that they all want to embrace him with open arms. Yeah. So he escapes and. Uh, uh, he gets so frustrated by it and realizes that he's lost the element of fear, kind of like Batman, that his uh, costume gets burned up. And now Jonathan Crane is wandering around the streets naked. And that's the end of the Scarecrow. In he's the literally story. walking just, they, they drew him naked. <laughs> well, you know, there's no butt shot or anything like that. But like, <laughs> I mean, all that. is closer. I think he's got little pants on. <laughs> yeah, something. He's got but, a, uh, the, like a Hulk thing going on. Just, just his pants, yeah. huh? It's just his uh, purple sweatpants. Yeah. So. yeah. All right. All right. Well, that makes uh, sense, I guess. Batman, in the out. meantime, uh, knows that he needs to make himself more known among Gotham that he's back. So. He finds out that Penguin is throwing these gladiatorial matches or combat sessions, and so he goes in and he starts basically being part of Fight Club and uh, being the shit out of the thugs and ends up breaking Penguin's nose. Uh, What's interesting about this issue is that there's a potential continuity error because Penguin reacts to Batman as if he's seeing him for the first time, and yet the issue that's meant to take place beforehand has penguin doing you know getting fooled by the whole whole kitchen timer thing so i think there was a there was a bit of a mix-up there in terms of the timing of where when the issues would show up and where the continuity is uh but anyways he ends up forming an alliance with penguin there's a lot of different just, writers on it right you just there are said, different writers so maybe there on was it. a problem there yeah i mean there was supposed yeah. to be that bat summit where everybody was like you know making sure they were on the same page but i'm sure little details like that kind of fell through scott snyder was still just a little baby dude 
He's just not, <laughs> not, not ready yet. I guess so. Uh, the alliance of Penguin he forms is basically, I won't touch your business, but you'll give me information. So again, this is Batman making more compromises by teaming up with the villains who've taken over because he two needs ping- some form He of says help. this two penguin again, you said? Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, that's the exchange that they're having. Uh, and he makes another deal with uh, Lockup. Do you guys remember Lockup from the animated series? Bio Bolton. Yes. No, I don't. I do not remember <laughs> him. Zach, can you recap Lockup for Andrew? Uh, it was a Batman the Animated Series episode where basically there was an Arkham guard who was extremely brutal and violent, so much so that the uh, Arkham inmates were scared of him and were voicing their, you know, voicing their problems with him to, like, I guess the psychiatrist Arkham or whoever was mm-hmm. the head people, and they got him fired because I think at some point it was proven that he was super violent yeah. and um, he ended okay. up becoming this like this bad guy named Lockup. So I can't remember if he like thought that Batman was like he wanted to be like Batman. Like he thought Batman was going to embrace his ideals mm-hmm. because he's one of the good guys. But Batman like turned against him as well. So yeah, once he like lost everything, he became that that yeah. bad guy and was um, doing his thing. Yeah. Was it born out of the BTAS? Yeah, he was. Mm-hmm. He, was. he was. Okay. Uh, All right. An animated series character who crossed over into the comics, just like Montoya, Harley, Harley Quinn. Quinn. Yeah. yeah. Um, Montoya was from BTAS also? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did not know that at all. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. We'll have a lot more of her in a bit. But uh, Lockup and uh, a character who was not part of BTAS, but has certainly uh, made his way in a lot of new adaptations recently, is the KG Beast. Uh, so Anton, uh, damn, I forgot his last name. Uh, but anyway, uh, Anton was featured in, uh, oh, not Anton. Psh, wow. Revoke my card. Anatoly. Uh, Anatoly. Anatoly. Chikatilo. Yeah. <laughs> Anatoly was in Arrow as well as, uh, the guy who threatens Martha in, uh, Batman versus Superman, Donna Justice. Uh, oh, but anyways, both man. lock up. Both Lockup and KG Beast uh, are put in charge of Blackgate by Batman. Batman's like, I need help and I need some sort of prison. So he puts both Lockup and the KG Beast in charge of the remnants of Blackgate uh, so that he can actually put these people somewhere. Um, and there's kind of an irony that there are like people who want to get into Blackgate now because they see it as some form of shelter. There's a guy who like fakes killing somebody just so that Batman can throw him in there. Batman I heard refuses. you can get three squares a day in there, man. <laughs> yeah. But this is how just messed up Gotham is where people now want to get into one of the most dangerous prisons ever just because they can get fed. So <laughs> it's uh, it's getting ridiculous. Uh, That's what I here, would do. Yeah. Batman decides that his next target is going to be Black Mask. So we're coming for you, Obi-Wan. Uh, Black Mask's <laughs> next target is uh, he's gunning for Oracle's watchtower. Uh, he wants to destroy it. He wants to destroy every building that was once owned by Bruce Wayne. Um, and he's kind of gone a little bit more crazy. The false face society is now less of just a random bunch of criminals with masks and more of just a cult uh, instead. And so he, he brings people, uh, he recruits random Gothamites. He strings them up and he asks if they've you know seen the light. And if they, if, if they haven't, then he basically disfigures them. And his idea is that, you know, we all have our masks and he's he wants to do away with uh, our masks and things like that. He's basically really messed up. He's even more messed up than you saw in Black Birds of Prey. Um, but uh, 
Batman assigns the mysterious new Batgirl to protect it. And he's like, you know, protect the tower, try not to be seen. And she's like, I can do one, but not both. And then he's like, then you're not worthy of the mantle. So she's like, okay, then. I guess I got <laughs> no pressure or anything. Um, so she goes to protect the watchtower, not knowing that there's people who live in there. And one of the people who lives in there is Oracle. And she sees that the False Face Society is coming for her and everything. And she's not sure that Batman's going to come and save her or be able to fight all those people. So as a last resort, she is forced to pull out her father's sniper rifle to protect herself. And she hates herself for it. Uh, and she has Black Mask in her sights when she sees the form of the new Batgirl swoop in and oh, save the this day. Is a total total debut at this point. And this is a total debut. Oracle does not know that Batgirl is out there, and there has not been any successors to the Batgirl name. And Oracle is very tempted, according to the Greg novelization, to pull the trigger when she sees this new Batgirl. She is that pissed. Because now she's in conflict with Batman. How dare you? She has this big confrontation scene. This is completely emotional. Where she's like, how dare you give her something that I built? There's another woman in my costume with my legs out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Batman sort of has to apologize to her in his own way. Basically saying, like, any pain I've caused you, it was never by any choice. He was kind of forced to do it. This This is what No Man's Land has turned all of us into. We have to make all these choices and stuff. So Oracle kind She's of just showing up out of nowhere wearing a Batgirl suit, though, right? Yeah. He wasn't like he didn't like find yeah. a girl do recruits. Or yeah, anything. no, he kind of was just like you're already doing it, and you're already in the Batman name and doing these tags, and I need somebody. So, uh, you know, might as well uh, on that. So that's uh, it's it's a great moment. It's a great character moment post the Killing Joke uh, to see that uh, on there. Uh, Zach, did you already know? who the new backer was when you read that stuff or oh, no, not the first time okay got it totally new character to me yeah yeah uh we'll i'll reveal to that later to you andrew but uh, i was just curious for that uh there's a lot of different thematic mini stories that happen that uh, come up during this time so at one point uh penguins men captured the son of man bat because man bat's son uh is like still like part part bat as a kid, oh, and so he can locate man. food because he's got the sensitive sense of smell, and so like he's a valuable commodity. Uh, but they That's forget interesting. that uh, his mom also has the serum for being a, a man bat. So she teams up with Batman and injects herself with the serum once again uh, to basically find her son. So it's her and I guess woman bat. Uh, going up against Penguin's men, so that's a cool. Story. I know. I know a lot of people like ask this kind of question all the time, but Superman, I guess, is fighting off planet somewhere, and Flash well, is tied up with his bullshit. That. It's funny that you asked that because okay. he's next. Oh, there's shit. a story called okay. the Visitor. They actually. Okay. So that's this cool. is this is where a lot of people are like, well, the problem with this shared universe is that when a major storyline happens, like, how do you not explain? How do you explain why the Justice League isn't a part of it? Or why Superman just doesn't come in and help solve everything for him. Them fighting somebody else is a, it's you could use the excuse every time, I yeah. guess. It's fine. So there is a story called The Visitor, written by Kelly Puckett, where Superman shows up to Gotham City and Batman finds him and tells him, Alright, do whatever you can in twenty four hours and show me what you can do. Uh, as if he's the boss of Superman. So Superman has an engineer. Uh, he, he saves right the engineer. Right away, sir. <laughs> um, wait, I'm Indeed. not Alfred. You fucked me up. <laughs> Playing some bad mind tricks on me. 
So Superman has an engineer uh, bring power back to this one station, but everybody wants to go to that station. He's like, all right, I first start with bringing back electricity to the people. But the problem is people now see this from a no man's land situation. So Mr. Freeze shows up and he's like, this is my, you know, this is my power station now. So Superman, you'll like this, Andrew. Superman fights Mr. Freeze uh, during this time. I gotta uh, read this fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm missing out on some good stuff, apparently. Yes. Uh, but when he defeats Mr. Freeze, he finds that all the Gothamites are now fighting over who gets power first, and they try to give food to the engineer as some sort of tribute. This is similar to what Batman discovered Wait, when he Wait, I have to ask now. So, Freeze Breath, he tries Freeze Breath, doesn't work at all or some shit? <laughs> Mr. Freeze is like, you know? ah, that feels incredible, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe Superman already knew that that was not going to work. Oh, yeah. Let me go with the heat vision route this time around. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that's a better route than that. Just throw some chicken soup at him. <laughs> yes. That's all you need. The only way to fight a cold. Yeah. Uh, so Superman tells Batman, he sees all this. He sees that all the Gothamites like, are fighting for power or literal, not like power power, but like electricity power. And he tells Batman, for canned right. tuna. Yeah, for canned tuna. They want canned tuna. So he, tells, he has to tell Batman he's right, Gotham is not ready for hope, which is a hell of a thing to say coming from Superman. Okay, so he's like, <laughs> uh, you figure it out. <laughs> Pretty much. So, uh, But overall, the explanation, and it comes from a later Justice League issue, is that the Justice League is the Justice League of America, and it is illegal for them to step foot and help out No Man's Land. Okay. According to that issue by Mark Wade. Uh, I would think that they would ignore that <laughs> and still help out, but that's the explanation that yeah, we would give it. Exactly, yeah. Uh, it's it's a Yeah. They just have to deal with that as writers yeah. and then try yeah. to get around it. Yeah. It being that's, a shared universe is, is tough, man. Mm-hmm. Indeed. But that's that's their explanation for it. But I'm glad you asked that because that was exactly what I had next. I um, felt it in the force, bro. Yes, indeed. <laughs> the bat force. Yes. Uh when the Blue Boys take over more t- gang territory, Gordon is sort of fast to, forced to figure out or make some more moral compromises in order to show people that he means business. And Pettit, if you remember Pettit, the survivalist, uh, you know, Shane-esque, before Shane existed, uh, guy uh, is very trigger-happy, and he shoots a gang member in the head just immediately and executes him in front of everybody uh, in order to show that he means business, which pisses off I Gordon. I the law. Yeah, pretty much. He's Judge Dredd. Um, yeah. But Gordon sort of walks away with this feeling of guilt about what happens, uh, only to get confronted by a man in the shadows. And Gordon pulls a gun on this man, who uh, basically and calls him, uh, you know, you're a lunatic. Like, what do you want? And all those sorts of things. Uh, and this man wants to form some sort of alliance. And Gordon isn't agreeing to it. Uh, but I will let uh, Zach do the voice here in terms of what this man says to him, but uh, Gordon basically calls him a lunatic, and the man responds, What kind of a man lets his wife and crippled daughter remain here? We're two of a kind. (laughs) Very good. Very good. No notes. (laughs) No notes. No notes. Nice. uh, So that is Two-Face has arrived, and he is the next major player in this game. And he points out that Gordon can't even claim the moral high ground because Two-Face already knows that he set off that gang war uh, between the low boys and the street demons, and he knows what his boy Pettit did by shooting that gang member in the head. So he offers to help out the blue boys 
just like old times, because remember, they used to team up together against Falcone and everything. Uh, and they're going to take out the gang territory together. And Gordon feels like he's making a deal with the devil, but he has no choice. So Gordon teams up with Two-Face in order to continue to survive in the no-man's land. Again, this is more epicness. Um, Gordon did a similar thing. He teamed up with Penguin and Riddler in Season 5 of Gotham in order to uh, take down the mercenaries who were threatening them. So this idea of Gordon making these compromises has continued in the adaptations. Uh, but personally for me, I think Two-Face in No Man's Land is... The No Man's Land version of Two-Face is probably one of the best comic book versions or best comic book storylines of Two-Face in here. Absolutely. Uh, so, I, I mean, when you first read it, Zach, what did you, how did you feel about their portrayal of this? I mean, I, it was great because I guess when I read that, my only two... Uh, Two-Face experiences was Batman Forever in the animated series. And the animated series, like, that was closer in line to what I understood, you know, mm -hmm. whenever I watched those episodes. And it just it was a much more um, subtle, I guess, yes. <laughs> interpretation of Two-Face. <laughs> this than, is like, not the Tommy Lee Jones Two-Face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As much as I love him, yeah. Not the best interpretation <laughs> acting-wise. Ah, yeah. kind of day. It's uh, a little, little, yeah, a little much there. Yes. Jim Carrey's got the uh, whole overacting thing down, man. I think yes. uh, maybe you you don't do that next time. <laughs> he must have taken that note because he pretty pretty much played it straight in uh, Captain America: First Avenger. So, right, it ended up working out in the end. Uh, so let's see. Gordon decides he needs somebody to communicate in I DA. forgot he was in that fucking movie. Yes, he is fucking <laughs> like a drill sergeant or some shit. Yeah, he's the uh it's the it's a DC Marvel crossover. I saw that a thousand times cuz I worked on the Blu-ray for that movie. Ah, got it. The did Blu-ray QC as it were mm -hmm. anyway. Yes. Um but Gordon has to have somebody communicate to Two-Face secretly cuz he doesn't want his wife to know that he's working with Two-Face. He doesn't want the rest of the Gotham cops to know that he's working with Two-Face, but he knows that he can trust Montoya. And the question is, why? So that brings us to uh, a prequel story called Two Down, written by Greg Rucka. Uh, I would encourage you guys. It's collected in the No Man's Land uh, volumes, but if you can find it, read that while you're reading Cataclysm and Aftershock, because this covers why Gordon trusts Montoya. But in that storyline, uh, Two-Face had flipped the coin and it came up good side. And he decided to actually help the relief efforts to rescue people. And so he and Rene's brother, Benny Montoya, ended up being part of this group who was rescuing people. And Rene Montoya was walking around one day during, you know, the Aftershock era and had like one bullet in her gun uh, and saw Two-Face. And she was like, holy shit, this, you know, it's Two-Face. And she thought that she might have to arrest him, but she saw that he was helping people. Uh, so she decides to help out and also keep an eye on Two-Face to make sure that he doesn't turn homicidal. And things started to get hairy when a random criminal is like, Hey, Two-Face! And he's like, you know, he remind, he remembers him from the boat at Blackgate and he asks Two-Face to become part of the gang. And Two-Face flips the coin and it comes up good side again. And he's like, no. And the guy's like, nobody refuses me. And so they get into a fight and uh, the <laughs> criminal is about to attack Two-Face and Renee shoots him with her one bullet in order to save Two-Face's life. Uh, Batman, at the time, he was still in Gotham, heard that, and he showed up, and he thought that Two-Face had done something, and he's about to threaten Two-Face again, and Two-Face flips the coin, and now it's back to Batman versus Two-Face, until Renee Montoya caught the coin in the air. 
and told Two-Face he doesn't have to do this. You can still help people. You don't have to change. You can still be Harvey Dent. And Two-Face thought it over, and eventually he, and this is the first time that's ever happened, thanks to Montoya, decided to turn himself in and go back to Arkham, much to Gordon's surprise. So Montoya seems to have this effect on uh, Two-Face, and Gordon knows that. And they create this temporary alliance, become where Montoya is the liaison, and, and she even brings the coin to him as a peace offering. Now, uh, I'm going to have uh, Greg Rucka talk about why he made this choice in it. So, For Renee's story, I had this idea that everybody in the DC Universe had a special power. Not everybody can fly or is bulletproof, but they can do something. And Renee's thing was that she could get both Harvey Dent and Two-Face to listen to her at the same time. She was the one thing Harvey and Two-Face could agree on. <laughs> Bravo, Mr. Rucka. Totally what he sounds like. I'm sure. I'm Greg Rucka. <laughs> Uh, have you read the uh, novelization? Have you like, joined my country club? <laughs> have you read the novelization? Uh, novelization we started attack? accepting Jews recently. <laughs> Pipe down there, Mr. Rucka. <laughs> We're progressive. Have you read the Have you read the novel, Zach? I have not, but there's um, there is like a guy that was writing a blog for a long time called About Faces, and he's like oh, all in the yeah. face. Yeah. Yeah. So we we talk a lot, and I've done some stuff from him because we both love Two Face so much, and mm -hmm. he actually went over like the differences between the novelization and the graphic novel. So I remember reading just a little bit from that, mm -hmm. but I haven't read it personally. Got it. Got it. Okay. So for Andrew's sake, I will cover a little bit. The main thing that novelization covers is more scenes between Two Face and, and Montoya, and this interesting relationship they have. So Two Face at one point he has this henchman called the Tally Man. Um, who's a previous Batman villain. He's like a weird takeoff of Zaz because he also keeps tallies of who he kills, and I'm kind of like, what? Isn't that redundant? Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I don't think he carves him into his body, or maybe he does, but we don't really see it. He's got like this top hat and a mask. It's, it's I carve like these do. tallies into yeah. my b body. It's totally new it's and totally amazing. original. Original. No, I, I decided not to do the body thing. I'm just keeping it in a notebook. Uh, so the tally man um, tells Two-Face, like, hey, there's this cop who arrived for you, and she has this coin. And, uh, you know, if she didn't have the coin, I would have put a bullet in her. And Two-Face grabs tally man, and he's like, did you just say that you put a bullet in her? And tally man's like, no, no, no. I'm like, I'm saying that, you know, she's there. She's in the holding cells waiting for you. So Two-Face... Who even has a bullet these days? Who has yeah, that? Exactly. No one has that. <laughs> Two-Face took him from Ventrilo Quest. I, I have, like, know. 20 guns and no bullets. <laughs> So Two-Face relaxes, and before he goes to meet her, he, you know, he runs both hands uh, through his hair before going in and uh, says, Hey, Renee, like, uh, how's it going and everything? Um, so, Rucka is establishing this is the first woman since Gilda Dent that Two-Face is in love with. Mm. So this is a fascinating story. It's, it's, it's incredible how he writes this in the novel, because Two-Face's voice in his head is criticizing him the same way that a dude... Uh, who's really in his head when he's on a date with a girl starts criticizing himself where like Renee at one point sits across from him at the desk and Two-Face's voice in his mind is like you should have moved behind the desk first you dolt like, he's like criticizing himself for like how he should have talked to her and things like that but she's like the one thing that both Two-Face and Harvey are in love with or it's the one person who both Two-Face and Harvey uh, are in love with and the one thing that they can both agree on uh, on here so it's a, it's a fascinating character exploration uh, on here but 
he decides to uh, he wants to help Gordon. And he genuinely has affection for Renee. Uh, now, keep in mind, is he flipping the coin as he's on a date with the girl? Like, <laughs> uh, should we go movies first or, or dinner first? No, Let's no, flip no, no. it like every little step of the way. <laughs> well, she doesn't know that he sees it that way quite. And here's the Ski thing: ski ball or. Uh, <laughs> A walk around the fountain or whatever the fuck. <laughs> He's flipping a coin the whole fucking time. Yeah. Um, the, the interesting thing here, though, <clears throat> is that Greg Rucka is sort of planting early on the idea that Renee Montoya is actually uh, a lesbian and is in the closet. Uh, that had not okay. been so revealed that was, yet. That was, was a in new the beginning thing. stages, huh? It was not in BTAS. Um. I mean, it, I imagine it wouldn't have been in a 90s you know, cartoon at that time. But it is something that he was thinking of, and it starts here, because this storyline ends up tying into the future Gotham Central storyline where she got outed out of the closet. Uh, and she became you know, one of the more famous LGBTQ uh, characters in here. So uh, anyways, Two-Face, true to his name, um, has this big plan to help out Gordon, where Gordon will help him take territory. And it involves... Basically, double-crossing the Penguin. So there's this giant gang war between him and Penguin. Batman gets tricked and incapacitated in the process. Batgirl fails to protect the land from Penguin in the gang war. Uh, and right when things are about to heat up, uh, Penguin gets shot in the leg by an arrow. Uh, and Two-Face arrives and tells him that you thought that you would double your territory. Turns out it's been half, and mine's been doubled. So now Penguin is off the board if we were to do risk, he's off the board, and now Two Face is the new major player. Um, Penguin getting shot in the leg actually was adapted in Gotham in the very first episode of their No Man's Land arc. Uh, in, but in that version, Gordon just shot him with a bullet, <laughs> and he shot him in the bad leg too. So it was hilarious. Um, wow. uh, Batman wakes up uh, after being incapacitated by uh, the person that Two Face hired, and he runs over to the territory and he finds the bodies of the cops that he swore to protect, and they're all hung up by Two-Face, and in their blood is the message, Tales, you lose. Tales Harvey. from the crypt. <laughs> Not those oh. tales. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I do kind of wonder, since it's a message written in blood, if that was like an early, if that was them uh, sort of referencing the deleted opening of Batman Forever with the Bat Must Die. I don't know. I they're all talking. Maybe. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know how how credit. how much <laughs> yeah, how much was uh, <laughs> behind the scenes knowledge in the early internet days like well, that. Re- Even I don't the, you know what the I mean? Bat must die image was in the Batman Forever comic adaptation, and hmm. the images were uh, all over the place. So that's possible. Uh, you know, that's, then maybe I would say I would argue that's a more famous deleted scene than the giant bat in Batman Forever. So uh, we would see. Um, Interestingly enough, in the junior novelization, the one by Alan Grant, they sort of uh, made it more PG, where uh, Batgirl uh, loses the land because because she fell asleep on the job. <laughs> I like I like that one. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so um, while Gordon and Esther are fighting Killer Croc at the same one, time, a couple episodes weird. ago, you reveal like an early Joker plot in one of the early comics where he. Lied about a, some kid's report card or something. <laughs> he stole Johnny Blake's report card. <laughs> yeah, that, that was hilarious, dude. <laughs> Devilish indeed. <laughs> um, but yeah, here Batgirl 
in the original, yeah, in in the original version, uh, Batgirl was up against a lot of people. She was outnumbered uh, by all the thugs and everybody, and that's how she lost the territory. Was she felt she couldn't do anything, and she brings us up to Batman. She's like, she was two hundred of Two Faces men. What was I supposed to do? And Batman this is a just spoiler says, right with the full face mask. Spoiler, Batgirl. I'll, I'll go into who it is. Remember, spoiler oh. just gave birth. She was oh, pregnant. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm trying so, to keep track here. I okay, mean, yeah. I know women are really tough, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to do that. <laughs> How can there that? be two of them in this story? <laughs> two spoilers. I'm confused by just two of them. <laughs> that girl's Renee Montoya, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, man. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> oh, you guys. I quit. <laughs> Canceled. Um, no, Cancel so. myself. Wolf, Wolfie's um, cancel stamp. Yeah. No, uh, she... Yeah, she's like, what was I supposed to do? There were 200 of Two-Face's men, and Batman just says, more. Uh, so, in the... Um, <laughs> I was just like, no, seriously, what was I supposed to do? Uh, in the novelization, she uh, quits out of shame. Uh, and uh, But in the comic, she watches Batman bury the bodies, and he turns to the Batgirl, and all he says is, I trusted you. And he leaves her. Um, but, in yeah, as I said, in the novelization, she unmasks herself and quits out of shame, and it's revealed in the novelization... Uh, a little earlier than in the comic, that underneath the mask is Helena Bertinelli, the Huntress. Oh, shit. So, how okay. did this happen? Because I'm sure you weren't expecting that, Andrew. No. <laughs> yeah. So, what exactly happened? So, we you jumped back You could tell, to- though, because she had the same midriff showing in both costumes. <laughs> there was so. no midriff showing. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I mean, it wasn't, I don't know, was it, was it surprising once you got to that part, uh, Zach, when it was revealed that that was her? Or did you even know who she was? Because like Huntress was not part of the BTAS or any of the movies, so it was like, who's mm-hmm. this? I didn't know who she was until I started getting the earlier volumes, and then I and the Visual Dictionary thing. That, <laughs> of like, course, that yeah. Me out. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been the, the same. Like <laughs> yeah, I was like uh, the hunter. Okay, I guess it's the Huntress, but also it's it was like kind of obvious too, because I'm just like, well, Oracle's in the wheelchair. Um, I didn't know, spoiler wasn't in any of the novelizations, so I didn't know who she was. So I'm just like, and then the only other person who's fighting crime here is Huntress, so it's probably Huntress. So it didn't surprise me at all uh, when it was revealed uh, back then. But yeah, in No Man's Land number zero, the same issue where Bruce Wayne let himself get his ass kicked by Muggers and then let himself get slapped by Talia. um, Huntress uh, is revealed to have been trying to do what she could at No Man, during No Man's Land. She stops a man from assaulting another woman, only to find that it was the woman who was trying to steal from the guy. And so he ends up, she ends up inadvertently helping the crime. Um, and she finds the problem is that people aren't scared of the Huntress. They don't really know who she is. So she ends up creating her own Batgirl suit, modeled off of the Barbara Gordon original, to sort of instill fear and bring that hope with the, with the, uh, you know, the bat ears and everything. Uh, and at one point she has a confrontation with a thief who's like sprays her in the face with paint. So she's got it all over, you know, the bare part of her chin. And, this is the first uh, time and only time she, this, the Huntress has become Batgirl? Is this yeah, pretty common? it's during No Man's Land. Yeah, it's during No Man's Land. Okay, um, all right. So it's and, not that common at all then? No, no, not at all. Especially because beforehand she was always at odds with Batman. This is why it was like so, such a big thing. Because she was like, you know, I am, I'm my own thing. I'm not going to be part of your vigilante club, Batman. I don't answer to you. 
But when push comes to shove, there's no Batman. She realizes somebody's got to step up. Somebody has to represent that for the city. A crossbow is also definitely not a gun, so we're cool on that, right, Bats? Yeah, (laughs) but she she doesn't use that when she's Batgirl. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she almost kills this one dude who who attacked her and put all the spray paint on her face, but she sees the reflection on the window, and it's her in the Batgirl outfit. And she decides to let him go. She decides she has to, if she, for as long as she's in that outfit, she will abide by the Batman code. And also to prevent people from figuring out that she's also the Huntress because she got sprayed in the face and Huntress's mask is only, you know, the ones that cover her eyes. She ends up sewing the chin part over so that it covers her entire face when she's Batgirl. Uh, and that's the explanation for how Helena Bertinelli decided to become Batgirl. Uh, Batman, of course, being the detective, could tell from the beginning it was her, (laughs) based off of body language, so he's not surprised at all, Uh, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, Anyway, in the novelization, it's around this point that Gordon wants to stop the alliance with Two-Face. He's already gotten more of the territory, he's already made this one deal with the devil, and he asks Montoya to go and tell Two-Face that it's over, you got what you wanted, I got what I wanted, let's end this, because he doesn't realize what's really happening. So in the novelization only... Uh, Montoya goes and Two-Face is all like he's wearing his best suit and everything because he's he wants to impress two he wants to impress Montoya and Montoya tells him um, this is going to be the last time I see you because Gordon says the deal's off and Two-Face uh, sees this as Gordon trying to cut him off from the woman he loves so he pulls out the coin and he's like you should go before I throw the coin you should go and she's like, what? And he's like, go, now. And she runs. And he decides, all right, this is going to help me determine what to do with Gordon. And he flips it. And it's scarred side. So he decides to put out a hit on Gordon. And, of course, he finds the best person to do that is Batman's former mentor, David Kane. So if you guys remember way back in the, day, in the Batman training episode that the assassin David Kane uh, was one of the many people who trained Batman, his first appearance was in No Man's Land. Um, oh yeah. The novelization reveals that Kane Halo jumps into Robinson Park. This is not in the comic, uh, but this is how he gets into Gotham because it's not explained <laughs> in the comic. <laughs> um, and he jumps into Robinson Park because it's the only area that would be open enough for him to do so, at the risk of getting found by Poison Ivy. So he nearly gets killed by all the different foliage that comes alive, uh, but he escapes out of there because he's he's David Kane. Uh, but anyway. <clears throat> David Kane's trainer, this is not common knowledge, but it yeah. was Tom Cruise, actually. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Halo jumps and whatnot. <laughs> uh, so, Batman, in the meantime, this is one of my favorite scenes between Batman and Two-Face. In Revenge for What Happens to the Cops, he goes to Two-Face in the middle of the night and he ties him up. Uh, and he tells him, you know, you killed those men, the men I swore to protect. And then he tells Two-Face, uh, as he sees the coin, he picks it up and he's like, you know, he sees the appeal. He's a, the ease of using it for morality, how easy it would be. He's like, it must be nice not to have a choice. And he's like, just this once. And he flips the coin on Two-Face. And he catches it. In the novelization, uh, this is even cooler, because after he catches it, he throws it against the wall, and it embeds itself in the wall. And then he turns to Two-Face, and he says, never forget, Harvey. Never forget what you almost made me do. And then he leaves. So he's trying to scare him into implying that he would have killed him for what he did in taking that territory. Uh, so clearly this is not uh, B-Taz Batman being like, Harvey, I can save you. This is where it's just like, Harvey, I will kill you if you do this again. <laughs> yeah. 
Where's Harvey? Yes. Um, but he ends up uh, spying and lip reading on Two Face and lip reading him talking to Tally Man and finding out that he's in love with Montoya. So he's like, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> that's a little strange isn't it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, in the novelization too Greg Rucker brings up that the only other person he knows that Harvey ever loved was Gilda and Gilda apparently is dead according to Rucker in the novelization so that's an interesting ending to her post uh, the long Halloween um, which I think was released around the same time as this um, as not originally supposed to be part of continuity but ended up becoming it um but anyways, he hears that he wants to kill... Two-Face wants to kill Gordon because of being separated from Montoya. And he lip-reads the name Kane. And he realizes that it's his old mentor who's been hired to do this. Um, it is, of course, not the Robocop 2 villain. Uh, but the guy <laughs> who <laughs> taught him... Oh, man. <laughs> it is, of course, <laughs> however, not the Robocop 2 villain. I like it. Yes. That was a good, good word not there. not Michael Kane either. <laughs> not the Alfred. Uh, the size he, of a tangerine. tangerine. <laughs> um, so Kane enforced the philosophy of violence as a language, and Bruce learned from him, uh, and he later reveals to uh, his allies that he did train under this assassin, but just because... It's kind of like the idea of like just because you know how to kill doesn't mean that you do kill. So he wanted to learn the assassin's mind and how they interacted and things like that. Uh, but little does Kane know that there is someone else he knows in the, in the no man's land. And that is his daughter, Cassandra. So that is also the introduction of Cassandra Kane, who was seen in birds of prey, uh, a very different version of Cassandra than what's in the comics. But in the original comics, as we covered in the birds of prey, uh, episode, she was the daughter of David Kane and he sent her to kill someone when she was only a little girl. And she went in, and she basically tore a man's throat out based off of his trading. And she realizes what she had done, and she decided never to trust her dad again. Um, weirdly enough, in the Greg Rucka novelization, she starts off as an agent of Oracle um, and ends up meeting the Huntress and has, like, the, the, the novels try to plant her in a little more. In the comics, she just randomly shows up around the same time as her dad. Uh, but the novels tried to plant her in a little more uh, so that you know who she is. In the junior novelization, she actually takes out Mr. Zaz. Uh, so that's kind of cool, and that's how Batman ends up knowing her. But in the original comic, uh, she's shown as somebody who helps out Barbara, and Barbara, in exchange, she helps teach Cassandra how to talk, because Cassandra is mute, unlike the one from Birds of Prey. Uh, but... <laughs> She, yeah, that yeah. was a that was a choice. <laughs> that was, that was uh, a choice. Yeah. Um, but in this version, uh, Cassandra is friends with Barbara and gets to meet Commissioner Gordon. And when she walks out, she sees her dad, and she realizes that she's about to go down because she knows that her dad's an assassin. So she ends up saving Gordon's life. Again, this is her first issue. Uh, she she throws herself in front of him right when Kane's looking through the sniper rifle, and Kane is like, "Holy shit, that's my daughter! What's she doing here?" And the story about trying to kill Gordon kind of becomes this sort of weird father-daughter storyline that's kind of emotional at its core and manages to be, even though these are two characters we've never really seen before uh, on here. So when they reunite and they're a little bit, you know, they're in the same room together, uh, Cassandra tries to stop him with her fists. And when that doesn't work, she screams her first word, which is stop. And that st actually stops Kane because he's like, you can speak. And he almost cries from that. Um, 
Batman's trying to figure out the situation uh, and stop Kane, and, and he sort of figures out that Kane will only kill Gordon so that he can get paid. If you remove money from the equation, Kane will leave. And he tells this to Cassandra. Uh, so Cassandra puts on a mask and steals Two-Face's money so that she can remove that from the equation. And she shows up with the money when Batman's fighting Kane in order to be like, hey, you don't have to kill Gordon because here's the money. Uh, kind of a cool way to wrap it, but a cooler way to wrap it is actually in the novel where she shows up with the money, but instead of giving it to her dad, she pours gasoline on it and lights it on fire. Basically saying you're not getting your money either. You're not getting shit. And Kane drops down into tears because of what this means for the father-daughter relationship, and then he tells Batman to take care of her before he leaves Gotham. So it's a really interesting introduction to Cassandra Kane, but it's really to set up her place in the Bat mythos uh, because she is going to be taking over, as I'm sure if you guys have already guessed right now, she's going to become the new Batgirl uh, on that piece because that's uh, this is, I guess, what they wanted to do in terms of saying there's a false Batgirl from beforehand. We're going to put the real new successor to Batgirl uh, later on. Um, around the same time, we got the division of the Blue Boys where Pettit gets trigger happy and ends up killing hostages and criminals. He's just all full out. I love guns and shooting people. And uh, Gordon doesn't I like love that. It. <laughs> so creates a civil war between the GCPD where he splits off on his own. The uh, Blue Boys. Yes. And um, so the Blue Boys are split and Batman ends up finally talking to Gordon. Uh, and the first thing that Gordon does is punch him in the face. <laughs> and Batman tells him that Two-Face, he's like, Two-Face is an ally you can trust. And Gordon replies, neither were you. Uh, there's a scene in the novelization that uh, sort of reveals after when he goes to bed, he tells Sarah that uh, Gordon resents how much he's had to rely on Batman over the years, and it made him feel like less of a cop. So his anger at Batman is more anger towards himself, really. And Batflex got to get on him with his HBO Max money. Yeah, I know, right? That's all I got to <laughs> say. Holy shit, they got a winner. They got right here, of, they got a ton of they got a ton of shit here, uh, and then you know throw in Mary Elizabeth Winstead's Huntress into there. I think that could work as well. Uh, Andrew's already excited by that. Uh, <clears throat> but so here's where we got we got the Huntress Batgirl has been disavowed. Gordon is still pissed at Batman. The Blue Boys are split. Two Face rules the land. Nicholas Scratch, Joker, Poison Ivy, Mister Freeze, all those guys are out there. Batman goes to Alfred in the novelization. This is not in the comic, but in the novelization, he turns to Alfred and he's like, "I failed." I, I have failed to check to in on uh, Mister Freeze's uh, current status. And this, <laughs> uh, basically, my man. That's all you care about. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> he uh, he doesn't have any power to charge his fucking gun and shit. Like no diamonds. No, no diamonds. diamonds. <laughs> the diamond. <laughs> he's using it all on some backup generator that can just power Nora. This is post Nora, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta look it up because I'm still reading through part two, and he shows up more in part two. This is very important, Ben. I'm counting on you to do you this know, work. I'm just going to have to recap that when we get to part two. <laughs> I need that, Victor Cap. He he. Okay, let's say that he raided all the jewelry stores for diamonds. <laughs> so. <Ooh. laughs> So Just as long as as long he as he's able to survive, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Batman has failed to bring Gotham back because yeah, he took over Ventriloquist territory, but everyone else is like, Two Face took over. Like there's he hasn't done anything. Um, and Alfred tells him now is the time 
to reach out. Now is the time to bring back Nightwing and Robin. And he says, quote, there is no weakness in turning to others for aid in times of crisis. So Batman returns to Oracle in the clock tower. And she's like, what can I do for you? And he says, call them. And that's going to be the end of part one. So that's going to be the cliffhanger I leave for you guys on No Man's Land. But uh, to sum it up, I will have uh, Gorfingal himself, the guy who is the brainchild of this, uh, tell us what uh, this is all leading up to. My name Gorfinkel, and if No Man's Land was successful, it was because of the story's emotional arc. Batman is initially forced by circumstance to fight the good fight without any support. There's no Batcave, there's no Commissioner Gordon, and there's no sidekicks. What would Batman do? <laughs> You can get the bracelets at the mall for that. <laughs> would, would he continue to embrace the being the lone dark knight, or will he realize I'm not the same guy I was five years ago? I have a family, and I should embrace this family? And that was the emotional arc of No Man's Land. That, to me, was what the story was all about. Thank yeah, you, Mr. Work, I guess. <laughs> My I name is Gorfinkel. I had a poster in my classroom that said WWBD, and it's got a. I have like Batman up there with his arms crossed. (laughs) (laughs) And the kids are always like, What does that mean? (laughs) They don't even get the reference, right? They don't even get the WWJD part, right? Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) So, to sum up the arc, uh, in the junior novelization, it says, quote, It takes a true hero to admit to having limitations, it takes an even greater hero to make amends. So, Do you remember that old system PlayStation 3? <laughs> That's your students, bro. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that is the first half, I think. It's more like the first third, honestly, <laughs> of No Man's Land. I hope you're, Jesus Christ, I this hope is like you know two hours. <laughs> I hope I know what I'm doing. <clears throat> I'm a we're, fraud. I don't know anything about that. We're counting on you, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that it's is... It's actually uh, guessed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, that is that is our first part one. This is our part one episode on No Man's Land. So far, what do you think, Andrew, of this storyline? Definitely like, you know, you said it's like character moment after character moment, and that's mm-hmm. what this is. So yeah. I cannot get the Batfleck HBO Max series out of my head after this. It's like... After I said that, yeah. It's just so... Yeah, it's so... Uh, like, it's already there, you know? Like, character moment... All the character moments I feel like would just transfer so easily to the to uh, to the stage, you know, yeah, to the screen or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, it's it's interesting to see what everybody does during this time. And uh, there's some weak parts, like with Superman. Like, what the fuck? Like, could have <laughs> Superman could have come down and been like, "Hold on, I hear Metallo about to fuck up an entire planet. I gotta go. I'm sorry. You're on your own, Bruce. I'm sorry, man." You know, something along those lines. Yes, Mr. Batman, sir, I'll clean the city in 24 hours. <laughs> but, I mean, other than that, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard. That's why the Elseworld stories are often, like, so fucking good. Because mm-hmm. they don't have to, they don't have to deal with the whole canon. So, uh, it, that's, that's always difficult, even for the best writers. But, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's great. I want to read the whole thing now, and I want to know Mr. Freeze's status for sure <laughs> next time, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Those little, I'm sorry. You failed. Those little polar bear slippers on, just you know. <laughs> yeah. 
I need my Zach, polar bear slippers. Zach, I have slippers. to ask, did you buy polar bear slippers just because you're such a fan of Forever? No. <laughs> okay. You're better to rob it. We have to have an episode where Ben's wearing his Keaton uh, black turtleneck. turtleneck. <laughs> you're wearing the, the slippers. And I don't know what the fuck I'd be wearing. A Mr. Fr- another, no, something else, be, something else. You should, yeah, you should wear the Mr. Freeze slippers, actually. Farmer Brown, whatever. I'll wear the skin-tight green leotard. With the Hell question. yeah. I have that. As I, my mom sews, and she made me the green, that, that Jim Carrey uh, thing back in the day when the movie came out. I asked my mom when we did the Batman Forever deep dives. I, I texted her. He knows. Like, he listened to that. Did I? Oh, sorry. But for everybody else, it hasn't. I tried. I tried to try to see if I could release those pictures online, you know, uh, of of me in the costume, but we couldn't find them. Sadly enough, it'll leak I've out got someday. Kids costume. Uh, I have a huge Batman collection upstairs, like a whole Batman room. But I've got like one of the kids' costumes, like still in the bag. There's a uh, there's a Halloween place in South Carolina that's called mm-hmm. Halloween Highway. And all they sell is Halloween stuff all year round, and they got they have old costumes there. But I've got oh, like nice. I've gotten the Two Face and uh, Riddler kids costumes like in their little packages in there. Oh, nice! Of the really Forever cool. versions, yeah. That's nice. Awesome. What does your wife? Th- I have to ask this. What does your wife think about all the the Batman room and everything? Very accepting. Yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's good. She's got that's like her work. own thing. She's uh <laughs> she's like super into. Uh, a lot of like Jim Henson stuff, like the Labyrinth and Dark Crystal. Oh yeah, okay. And she's into like uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, like the new Sabrina and everything. So she's got. So like, she likes Satan then. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> that show is highly satanic, and it's <laughs> it's it's really good. But I'm just surprised. Like that show would not have been made in the '90s, bro. No, there's she loves the pentagrams and Satan too. and fucking rituals, and like they do not fucking tone down the Satan <laughs> in that show. It's it's really incredible. Like Netflix just let it like do whatever, make us some yeah. money. It's like South Park. You're greenlit, <laughs> you know, as soon as they call. Nice. Uh, yeah, she she collects a lot of Harley stuff. So oh, almost nice. everything that I have that's Harley is like things that she's bought or that I got for her to be in the room too. So Harley sh- Shrine of sh- sorts. Oh yeah. Okay. I'll have to, I'll, if if I get a wireless uh, extender thing for upstairs, then. Maybe I'll do the next episode in the Batman room just so you guys yes. can see the background. Yes, that'll be cool. I want to see that. Uh, yeah. Over to Zach. Closing thoughts on uh, this recap on No Man's Land. It's great. <laughs> it's like it's one of my favorite. <laughs> Thank you. It's it one of my good. favorite storylines. Yeah. So it's. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to have anything but positive thoughts about it. Yeah. No. It is. It's. It's fantastic. Uh, again, like <clears throat> HBO Max, please. Affleck with J.K. Simmons. I want to see J.K. Simmons destroy a bat signal and punch Affleck in the face uh, <laughs> from all this. It does make me wonder who could be a good Two-Face, a good Penguin in the world uh, as well. Um, also could be interesting to sort of cross over some of the other DCEU characters that are in this that don't really necessarily match up to what was in the comics. So like it'll be interesting right. how they do with Cassandra Cain or Montoya because those don't quite match up to the versions in the in this version it's set uh, a good precedent too like this is a contained story we do one one mm-hmm. season this is no man's land the season yeah. and then you know it'll if they if they i know nerds always say this if they did it right but if they yes. if they did it right it would they'd have another one where they could do another big arc 
uh, I forget what you know another big one from the comics. Just know, know, yeah, you know they could mean? as well. Yeah, it, it would have Se- to be worth season by season miniseries type. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. this would this would take a, a while. This would be a long. Like if you covered everything from Cataclysm on and everything and gave justice to it, like it would be it'd be fantastic. I think uh, on that. Would you cool. still keep Leto? I I, I you know what? <laughs> like I've said before, I yeah. if, take out the fucking damage tattoo. I hate that. <laughs> but how but, am I supposed to know he's damaged? That's right. right. <laughs> but the thing is, though, a lot of people don't don't like him on set. Like. <laughs> Uh, so maybe there is that, but if he can like be more likable on set, mm-hmm. I could see Lido Joker again because I think that oftentimes actors are victims of their own movie in a way. They don't yeah. really they see a script and they know who's going to direct it, but they don't you know they don't know how much studio interference is going to happen in the editing process and and all that. And, and it happened a lot, especially around that time. So. Mm-hmm. I, w- I don't know. I feel like he seems to go all in. You know, he's fucking totally committed. But, yeah. but yeah, like Will Smith not liking him at all. I feel like <laughs> Will Smith doesn't... It's okay, we, Dead we, Trust not in this. We haven't, yeah. But it, it says something like, I don't feel like I've heard other stories of Will Smith just not liking other actors. <laughs> so maybe there is something to that. Anyway, go ahead, Zach. I'm sorry to take so long. Oh, I don't even know what I was saying. You, oh, you, were, uh, you were just Leto, asking about the Yeah, Leto as Joker in No Man's Land. <laughs> it's a no. It's a it's a no from Zach. Yeah, I um it's so hard. I remember I drew him a couple times when Suicide yeah. Squad was coming out because I liked what I saw in the trailers, but mm-hmm. other than yeah, the damage or did you like the damage tattoo? No, I, whenever I drew him I didn't draw that on his forehead. <laughs> okay, yeah, nobody likes that. <laughs> I, I admitted that. I was like, this isn't a good idea, but I, other than that, like I don't mind his like design. I like the mm-hmm. he looks kind of like the Frank Miller Joker. I I mm-hmm. like that, and I like the purple alligator like skin jacket. I yeah, thought yeah. that was a some good of choice, those ideas yes. were pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I just don't know. It, even if you saw more of him, there was a lot of things in the movie that I didn't quite like or agree with. It just was he was weird. There's a he minor release the Ayer cut movement on Twitter yeah. and shit. <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah, so maybe there's a I'm there's down. probably a lot of scenes cut from especially Leto Joker. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I would give it a chance. Yeah. I would yeah. want to see like what he looks like without anything being cut, but it's uh yeah, he did some weird things, so I don't know. Don't send any He's boxes with fucking uh <laughs> rats in them or whatever. They send boxes of dead rats or something Used to condoms, the condoms, yeah. Oh yeah. that's what the Joker <laughs> would do. No, really not no. Not, really, not really though, man. No. That's not really a thing. <laughs> All I right. didn't like it in the movie because he didn't um, he didn't kill anybody in a Jokerish way. Like That's true. He, shoots, yeah. he just straight up shoots people. I was like, this is a world where Killer Croc exists. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, can you just have him like spray acid on somebody or yeah. you know like have a a gun with like a little spear in it with a bang flag? I was like, this is prime opportunity to actually have some more comic book elements. So yeah. Yeah. It was never really funny sure. the way that uh, the others were. No, he he was. Ledger was he? Did he say even a single joke? <clears throat> Not really. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. I I remember him being like sexually fluid. Let's put it that yes. way. In a couple explored scenes. in the Suicide Squad deep dive. You looking forward yeah. to that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> um, all right. We, what we, we should re- just do that in Terminator uh, uh, Ninja Turtles three. <laughs> 
the same, the same back, time. To, back to back. <laughs> just because we just because we hate ourselves enough. There's a reason we did we do this Terminator one, Ninja Turtles one and the Ninja Turtles two pretty close to each other, but we haven't quite gotten to that third episode just yet. Not rushing into that one. That is uh, part one of No Man's Land. Join us again next time for part two, and we'll have Zach back as well, as things are about to heat up if they hadn't already. On Fuck that. yeah, motherfucker. Yep. Uh, Zach, go ahead and, uh, I guess, plug anything. How can uh, fans who might be seeing this for the first time or know you for the first time through this, how can they find you and your art? Oh, my Instagram is Zachary Jackson Brown Art, and my website is the same thing at Zachary Jackson Brown Art. Com. And as always, a shout-out to Kooky Noms, Matt Herring, Elijah B., Shamrock Balls, Aaron Willett, Ian H., Dan D., Leom Owen, Super Super Inframan. Please join the Shasta Army at patreon.com slash superherostuffpod. And we have, the most importantly, the $5 Patreon tier, which gives you the bonus feed, extra episodes every week. Please leave us a review uh, in iTunes. That would be great. And as Zach has done so many times wonderfully, please record a phone bumper on your phone and your voice recorder app and send that to superhousepodcast at gmail.com. And you too can be on the show. I'm Thunderwolf Drew on Twitter and Instagram. Check us out on YouTube if you're not already. And Ben. Uh, I'm Ben Juan Ryder on Instagram. And you can check us out on Instagram as well, which is how we met Zach, uh, through Superhero Stuff Pod. Uh, and uh, you can follow both us and Zachary Jackson Brown art uh, and uh, where you, you can see other art uh, that he's done, uh, including the thumbnail that you see here. So. Oh, shit. I think that's it. So, uh, Ben signing off. Signing off. This is your old Uncle Joker signing off, kitties. <laughs> <laughs>